Okay, so welcome back to the Chronic Command podcast, and with me I've got John Webb. John, how are you, mate? Very, very good, thank you. And you good self? Yes, I'm very good, thanks, mate. And thanks again for uh, for joining us tonight to um, yeah to, to chat with me, maybe do a bit of hobby as we as we're painting, or as we're talking, I should say, painting as we chat, and um, yeah, learn a bit about, about yourself, mate. How you got into the hobby, and uh, what what kind of things you're doing now related to your, your own personal work, and, and that kind of thing, and. Um, so John, so when you're ready, mate, just take it away and, and uh, yeah. go from it. You, you want the uh, you want the origin story? A- absolutely, that'd be great. <laughs> okay, so um, uh, goodness, twenty twenty seven years ago now, I want to say. Uh, basically, uh, it's interesting. One of those ones where, like, so my, my origin story with with the hobby is very much the games workshop, but it's always got that like before times thing where there was a little bit of like you know, very early like awareness and kind of playing a couple of what I now know as war games but at the time you know kind of didn't know that it was war games so I guess my kind of my first two key visual like the things that maybe become aware of, of miniature war gaming and, and be like I don't know what that is but it, it kind of speaks to something inside me um, the, the kind of the first one was uh, yeah, I mean I was a kid uh, we were on holiday and um, staying with some friends and these uh, <clears throat> two friends of theirs came around and um, started playing I think it must have been some strange hybrid of like advanced space crusade mixed with some homebrew because they were basically using like homemade um, you know space hog style tiles and then they were fighting like orcs versus space marines in this tile set so you know at the time I knew what none of this was none of it made any sense but, but they were telling me about oh you know this is this, this gun that fires these little green guys through the warp and it, it appears inside the dreadnought and I was like whoa you know all these words what does this mean I don't know but the idea of like teleporting screaming little goblin men into giant robots that's freaking amazing you know um, and you know obviously now I know I'm far more familiar with what those terms were and you know know what dreadnought is know what shock attack gun is know what solvings are but at the time you know this must have been like seven, eight, nine, just like it's too much this is all amazing yeah. and then um, yeah I grew up down in the west country and um Every couple of weeks, maybe we travel into to Bath, which was kind of the nearest big city to me, and we walk past uh, the GW there. And, and I just remember they had this poster of uh, this, this, this robot, and it had this castle on its back. And I was like, again, like, what is this? I don't understand what these things are, but like, that robot's got a castle on its back, and that's again, like, just mind blowing to, to tiny, tiny John. And um, so those were kind of the two, like, you know, pre Games Workshop, like, visual images. I was sort of carrying those with me, like, yeah, I remember this. this just red Dreadnought, like what is Dreadnought? And I remember this robot being like, wow. And then a couple of years later, um, we went to see uh, my cousin, and he uh, he was a war gamer. He's, he was in the military at the time, or actually, he was just out of the military. He'd been in the military, and so he'd been into all kind of Warhammer through the forces and playing. He was stationed in Germany, places like that, so they got to have quite a lot of downtime playing. And so he was just like, oh, you know, have a look in my, my sort of studio. And he had a Dark Elf army and a Orc Goblin army, um, kind of mostly third edition models I say this because I own those models now he did give them to me um, so yeah kind of you know, your classic your metal full metal armies um, sounded shelves and just like a huge library of white dwarves so I basically spent the day just locked in that room you know gorging on white dwarves and it was that kind of the kind of the one, 150s to 180s era of white dwarf mm-hmm. so it's just things like the Imperial Guard regiments were coming out in metal the second edition Perry Brothers uh, metals and just pouring through this and absorbing as much of this as I could I was only there for kind of the afternoon, 
Um, and when I left, he kind of handed me this bag, and it was full of some of the, you know, the, the, the plastic night goblins and the um, plastic Skaven uh, and uh, a couple of you know, metal command packs and stuff. So I went away with this kind of weird mix of goblins and Skaven and a couple of minotaurs from uh, Warhammer Quest. Just like a head full of ideas. And so that, like I said, that was 27 years ago, and uh, I've kind of never looked back really. And uh, you know, my mother rues the day that my cousin got me into this, even though you know, I sort of, I sort of joke with her. Like, you know, I, I pay my mortgage with this, and I'm like, what's the problem? But she's always like, oh, why did he have to give you that bag of toys? Um, so yeah, that was kind of the, that was the origins of uh, yeah, a long time ago. And uh, yeah, it's, 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 I suppose I'm one of those weird games where you sort of, you, you hear a lot of the kind of the origin stories. And a lot of people say, oh, you know, and I, I did it through school, and I very much, you know, I walked it all through school. And then I went to uni and dropped out, and it's like, no, I went to uni and started working for Games Workshop. And so I never did the whole, like, putting Warhammer down to play with beer and women. I just kind of did all three at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> um, Multitasker, John, that's good, eh? Sorry, say again? Multitasker, you are, that's good. Well, <laughs> sure, I mean, the, the trick is, uh, you know, my girlfriend's a wargamer as well now, so um, we sit and paint together, so it's, it's, it's never awkward if I'm like, I'm going to do some hobby, and she's like, me too, so it's great. Um, but yeah, so literally 27 years, um, you know, everything from 4th edition fantasy, 2nd edition, 40k, through to, you know, I dabble with the new stuff, um, but it's one of those things as well, like, you know, I've I've played a lot of games, I mean, I, I after I left games, so when I finished uni, I stopped working for them, um, just, yeah, saw, um, and I took a bit of a break from games, so I started playing a lot of um, Confrontation, and a lot of uh, War Machine, oh, cool. so, you know, that was... That was kind of a really interesting era where, um, you know, GW, you know, we sort of say they were on the decline. I think they never really declined, but it was where they took their eye off the ball. Yeah. And you had this really interesting period where a lot of these smaller companies kind of crept up. And yeah, you know, you had Rackham doing Confrontation, which was an incredible set of miniatures mm. and really kind of introduced, you know, non-metallic metal painting to a lot of people outside of Europe or, you know, specifically France, Spain, Italy, and really were doing interesting things in a really fantastic world. War Machine came through, um, and I got heavily involved with War Machine. I, you know, I did a seven years of a convention for them in the UK and a press game for them, introduced them, to the, the, uh, introduced them to people in the UK. I traveled out to America to help them at conventions and stuff. Um, so that was already good. And I, you know, I kind of like to sort of joke about you know, 10 years cold turkey. Like, I kept my epic back, I kept the dark elves and we all took off back. And I actually like, cleared out a lot of my GW stuff. Yeah. And then one day we were at Salute. Um, and uh, went past the four drop stand, and my girlfriend was like, Do you want to listen off the stand? And I was like, Oh, you know, I've been, I've been clean. It's like a heroin addict. I've been clean for a food shop for a day again. I don't, I don't, no, no, no. I ended up picking up a, um, like, yeah, I think I got uh, the, the Titan Legion um, tech priest because I, I love the Adeptus Mechanicus. Mm-hmm. And that kind of, you know, like all true addicts, I suppose that kind of reopened the, the kind of the. The, the obsession and I sort of jumped back in and yeah I mean I, I couldn't tell you now I've you know just, you know ended up buying back a lot of the armies I sold and bought some new armies and, and I think what's been really good as well and that's kind of how I met you really was um there's been this really good explosion of the kind of um you know the, the, the old hammer the middle hammer and funnily enough Sam was asking my girlfriend what what's the difference in what is old hammer what is middle hammer over lunch today and I was kind of breaking down my version of it and that you know the the, the online communities are so good now, and, and like I say, you and I met through the, the kind of the epic community, 
which has been great. Um, and there's all these amazing communities sort of, you know, I guess, old gifts like us, really, who are like, hey, it wasn't great back in the 90s when everything was red and made of metal. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, so that's kind of really where my focus is now. I've done a lot of Epic. Um, introduced Sam to Epic. She's really enjoying it. But then I'm also doing, like, uh, we broke out a game of 5th uh, edition, the other day, 5th edition fantasy. Oh, really Fantastic. Um, yeah, and it's just a case of, yeah, you know, I've, I've, I kept all my books, kept all my rules, and it's just a case of, yeah, you know, there's... Because it's that weird thing where people sort of jump to a new edition because it's the new edition. That's it. And you do kind of go, like, just because it's new, it doesn't mean it's any better. That's so, right. You know, I, I, I Age of Sigmar as much as anything, but, like, to me, they are two very different games. And, mm. you know, when I play Age of Sigmar in my mind, I'm like, this is still the old world to me. I'll just pretend that it didn't explode and blah, blah, blah. I'm not going to play that nonsense. Like, uh, <laughs> kind of... The, the mechanics of five for a kind of a faster, lighter game, but like, yeah, just playing fifth the other day, pushing the blocks of toys around, it's just like, this is, this is visually how it should be, you know, and rank and flank is where it should be. Yeah. And those games, yeah, I think it's that thing of like, I don't, I don't know about you, like, uh, yeah, I'll stop talking in a minute, there you go, we're in edge race. No, no, like, I want you to talk, mate, keep going. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to say anything. <laughs> right. Yeah. The whole, like, for me, like, it's really interesting, you know. I think we sort of mentioned it before we kicked off. We'll come on to me. Like I am a inverted commas professional wargamer. Like I, I do pay my bills. I do work in the industry um, as a kind of games designer, games developer, and uh, manager of a whole department making toy soldiers. But like, there's this weird thing I think with older games where. <clears throat> I don't know if it's just because rules were not as tight back then. So, like, one of the really interesting things for me is, like, you know, I, I, I love my, my 90s and early 2000s war games. I love 2nd you know, edition, 40k, 4th edition, 5th edition fantasy. There's something so um, exciting about those games. But I wouldn't say they're always technically brilliantly written. So it's one of the things that, you know, you used to see a lot of on the tournament scene, there'd be arguments because there was ambiguity or there'd be two, you know, immovable objects, like irresistible force, conference and stuff. And I think we've moved into an era now where a lot of that's gone away. And, you know, War Machine, for example, is a much tighter rule set. But you lose some of the fun, I found. And mm. I played, you know, competitive War Machine for a decade. I was... I wasn't particularly great, but I was, you know, I was, I was known on the scene, you know, running conventions, running tournaments, playing in tournaments. And it was always a, like, you never, like, I never had an argument with someone over a game of War Machine. But it stopped being enjoyable because it was so ruthless and so tight and so cutthroat. Yeah, yeah. And I think when you go back to your kind of your, your, your fifth editions and your, your, your Man of Wars and your Epic Second Edition, they're so, like, epic in scope. Mm. And as a result, sometimes there is that ambiguity. And I don't know if it's just, again, you know, we're old and it's nostalgia and it's that kind of golden looking back in the glory days, but, like, they just felt friendlier, if that makes sense. And I guess that's kind of what I'm really enjoying now is that kind of cracking open those old books and, you know, looking at that beautiful old artwork. And, the, you know, for me, the, the kind of the, the, the monopose metals. You know, it's that, again, it's really interesting. You know, I, I, for a living, I uh, brief our sculptors and make miniatures with our sculptors and it's all technically so superior but sometimes I think there's a lack of charm as a result so you know a lot of the new DW stuff is, is technically incredible and you know I, I, I own a lot of the models I think you know, plastic's fantastic yeah. but they've lost that handmade charm that is you know perhaps a little bit cartoonish but you look at a Kev Adams orc and you're just like yeah that's what an orc looks like in it like that is the, you know the big grinning you know, melon-headed, blobby, fingerprints-in-the-metal kind of orcs. They're just 
so charming and so... And it could just be nostalgia as a powerful drug run. But it's... Yeah. That's what I'm enjoying. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with a lot of things you said there. There's a lot of stuff there that... Um, that, that uh, yes, I think it's it's a case of age. It's like the uh, the generation we lived through and the games we played, and it is a bit of that sort of you know rose tinted glasses effect. That maybe you think, oh yeah, they're so great in the day, and yeah, a lot of the rules were you know not perfect and not particularly polished, but I think they have such charm to them, and I love the randomness to the to the to the games of that of that generation that. Uh, games like War Machine, I, I tried it once, just didn't like it. I just walked away from it straight away. I thought, no, nah, it's way too, way too precise and technical. It's, it's, it's obviously geared for tournament play, and I think from the from the from the standpoint of the guys who made the games, like Rick Priestley, Andy Jones, uh, Nigel Still, and all that, they were coming in from just. Uh, from the fun aspect of, of games rather than tournament play. I don't think they were tournament players as such. Um, no, and I, I think that's some really, like, it's a really interesting thing of, like you say, like, people took Warhammer and played tournaments with it. And you, you, you of course you could. And it's that, it's that inevitable thing where people are like, I want to be the best at this thing that I love. But it almost missed the point. And I mean, you always, you know, you read the Stillmania articles and he's talking about, you know, this is my Bretonian army and I built it to 2,000 points and I never changed the list. And I'm so alien to a kind of contemporary war gamer. Yeah. But there's something so perfectly, like, I don't know if noble's the right word, possibly naive, like a, a noble naivety around the concept of, I know you've collected your army and that's your army now and you've paid it up and, and you, you, you kind of, you win and lose with it because it's not about the winning and the losing, it's about the stories you tell and I think that's where you know that's why in the end I moved away from watching and really came back to, to kind of these, these these older games I'm at that point in my life now where you know I've got nothing to prove I'm not playing tournaments I'm not interested in tournaments anymore and I'm not saying tournaments are bad like if anyone's in there like mm. I'm not sure particularly going to be that kind of person like, oh, yeah, how dare you like I'm not disparaging tournaments I was a tournament player for a decade I have to move past that because I'm getting old and I'm getting tired and my knees can't handle playing five games of Warhammer in a day you know, <laughs> <laughs> but so like, um, like you, you can play competitive Warhammer, but if you do, perhaps you miss some of the fun of just like, I mean, you know, it's, it's a joke. Really. It's, you know, Sam has been, you know, we've been together ooh, sixteen years now. I think it's been, and and like she's only really been playing for the last two or three because we 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 have finally you know got our own place, moved to a bigger place, have the space for a permanent gaming setup, etc., etc. And she just you know smashes me game after game. And I'm like, am I just terrible at the board gaming now? Like, what's going on? <laughs> It doesn't matter because we're just having fun, just like pushing models around, and you know she's really fallen in love with um like epic orcs. Awesome. And it's really funny, like because they were they were like I I've basically I've got everything epic. Like I've got I can field every army now. I've got a couple of interiors missing, but like I can basically field every epic army for, for barrel. And I've always liked orcs and imperial guard with two armies I love the most. So she ends up coming in and kind of stealing my orc army out from me. <laughs> And which is fine, you know. Good choice. I didn't get to play yeah. games. Um, but like, 
you, you kind of always read the articles and like, oh, epic, cool, because yeah, no, it's all about getting into combat and pushing you guys forward. She's like, no, no, I'll just take all the guns, thanks. And then she just blows you off the table because it turns oh, out okay. to a really powerful shooting army just through sheer volume, I guess. Yeah. And it, it turns out knobs have got some really kick ass guns on them. So yeah, I'm just like, oh, I thought you were a close combat army, but you did a really good job of decimating me with guns. So. That's yeah, that's awesome, mate, because we, we actually initially met through the Epic uh, Facebook group, didn't we? We did, yeah. yeah. I was looking for some cars, and you very generously provided them, and then uh, I think we traded some, um, got some bikes for you, didn't I? I want to say. Yeah, the Ork, yeah, Ork Knob bikes, and thank you for that, mate. I've actually painted those. They're now uh, part of the, um, the Cold Speed clan. So that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that's that's what I love. Like, obviously, you, I mean, you're, you're out in uh, Japan now, I believe. I'm going to go out a little and say you are Australian? I'm Australian, mate, yeah. Excellent, good, cool. So, and but you've lived over here as well, because am I right thinking you were an heavy metal maker for a while? I was for a while, for a four-month stint. Stint. I was okay. uh, in Nottingham and all that kind of thing. I was just, it's just, it was just through, you know, sheer luck that I got that job. Uh, it wasn't. It wasn't due to my uh, superior painting skills or anything like that. I was just like super enthusiastic. I think I was just desperate to find somebody to fill a gap, and okay. they got me. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, I just still remember the guys looking like the Evan like those like there was uh, Dave Perry. There was like um, uh, who else is there? Uh, Paul Moller. There was um, Rich Potter. That is name. Yeah, Rich Potter was there. They, they looked. I brought. I brought up my case of uh, miniatures because when I when I went to the UK, I didn't bring any any like, miniatures from Australia, and I've been only painting for like two years because I started. I started basically from fourth edition, like painting, really painting. You know, like painting armies and stuff. And I sort of cut my teeth on my high off plastics and that kind of stuff. So my painting experience is like really limited. I've never won. Like usually, if you're a golden team, like if you're in the Edwin Neville team, you've actually won trophies. You've you've, you've sort of you know you've made a name for yourself out there kind of thing I was sort of just coming left field but from working in the stores and they looked at my they opened my my my, um, my miniature case looked at the figures and like Dave was like oh and like he just put the <laughs> he put he dropped he dropped the miniature in the case and he just walked away and it's like and the other guy's like yeah okay it, it wasn't really impressive so at that point I thought okay maybe maybe this is not really going to be my my dream job but yeah, just through sheer luck and hard work on that day, I was like so so overly enthused about painting, and they, they gave me like a test model, which is like a Phoenix Guard for the High Elves. And Simon, the studio manager, said, "Okay, just paint this miniature uh, for the day and see how you go." So I painted it up, and uh, like super keen, of course, tried to get it as quick, quickly done as possible. And I sort of you know brought it back to him. He said, "Okay." And he said, "Okay, we'll give you the job." So it's like that—that that was it. So <laughs> that, was, that was my that was my interview process: painting a, a high off um, Phoenix guard. How cool is that? It was cool, mate. It was great. Yeah, yeah. it's awesome. That was always the dream to work for Heavy Metal, and um, yeah, never, never, never ended up going down that route. It's a shame because, like, yeah, I mean, yeah, I've seen your stuff online. You're here, a solid painter. Like, I'm, I'm loving uh, your. Is it Orc and Goblins and Skaven? Am I making that up or right? Yeah, Orc and Goblins, Skaven, Dwarves. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah. you've really, you've really leaned into the whole green uh, basing again, which is. Like, uh, did you see that guy posted that uh, Goblin Wolf Rider unit? Oh, isn't that beautiful? Both, yeah. Yeah. 
just my childhood encapsulated. And I can't bring myself to go back to Goblin Green basis. Like, even even in the 90s when I was painting, I kind of very quickly moved off Goblin Green to a kind of a black rim and a you know, grey or, or brown top rather than the Goblin Green. But there is something about it where, yeah, where, you know, when I see your stuff and I see, I see you on Goblin Army, I saw that guy's, uh, I apologize, I don't know if I can what his name is, I saw his wolf boys, and I was just like, yeah, you can see it does work. Like it's not for me, but man, does it look classy and uh, just it just glows, doesn't it? There's something about that that kind of that middle era painting where the models just glow and it's beautiful. Mate, I'm gonna t- I'm gonna be honest. It's th- it's therapeutic to me. Like I look at my cabinet now and I look at the green and it's just it's there's some kind of color therapy that's working on me it's not just nostalgia it's just like it's totally enlightened the whole cabinet like before it was like very dark and drab and it's sort yeah. of the, the, the black rim bases to just sort of detract from the painting and they sort of just draw it back into the base but with the green it sort of highlighted everything so yeah um and i'm gonna work on you mate now that now john i'm gonna keep going on you mate to begin the green bases going because once you start I've got a high off army that I've not started painting yet. What can I do on green bases? Can I bring myself to, to commit to it? Who knows? Well, just do a unit and see what you think. Just do one unit yeah. and or even go halfway like um, Ankel, the guy who, who does some really fabulous uh, painting on his dwarf army now. He's doing sort of like the Ali Morrison way, like when he used to, when Ali Morrison painted all his dwarfs that he designed for Marauder Miniatures. He did like a green uh, base... Uh, rim, but on the top was like brown, and he did like um, tough, like green, like you know, I, I suppose it'd be like you know, grass tufts or whatever. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that now. Yeah, they did that um, that basing arc in White Dwarf. It was like the first time I'd ever seen starting grass, and um, yeah, there was a couple of dwarfs, like you say, with green rims and the, the brown tops, and then there was the uh, Imperial Guard on the kind of the urban. Because it was also like the best one was Necromunda when they painted all the Necromunda bases bright green. You were just like, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it does yeah, it does make it quite a different effect like i suppose it just depends on the on your you know preference and people some people just turn their nose at green bases but some people love them um it's, i mean it's the same as the whole life. i mean I've, I've had this weird thing where m- many of my armies are red um, so you know, I've had the years of the Dark Elves, I've done Orcs, I've done um, Space Marines, you know, and I always tend to go for red colours. Um, and I think for me, it was, I think if, you know, again when when we were when we were younger, probably pretty much when you were just starting to work for Heavy Metal, thinking about the kind of comparative time frames and what, like, uh, I think you, did you say you paid one of the lizard men on the, the plastic saurus box? Yeah, that yeah, that, that, I, I totally forgot about it when I looked at. It, I thought, oh yeah, that's right, I painted those. It was such a weird, weird thing, yeah. And I just had totally forgot about it, yeah. Um, so that, that kind of era, like, it was also like, oh, yeah, red's really hard to paint, and yeah. your blood red was quite a thin colour. And so I thought, too, that's a challenge almost. I was like, no, no, they all say red's really hard to paint. I'm going to paint my models red. And actually, I, you know, I really, <laughs> really like it. But, yeah, yeah so, it, again, it's that, you know, the whole red era, people turn their nose up at that, they turn their nose up at Goblin Green. And it is of its age, but I think, Again, you you look at what the guys like yourselves and, and that chap with the I wish I could remember what his name was with the, the wolf riders are doing. It's like no, it's the traditional colour schemes, but it's painted with a contemporary level of, of skill, if mm. that makes sense. Yeah. And it yeah. just 
soft and it just looks so like a warm is the only way I can describe it. And I, I, I know what you're saying about like the, the, you know, the black bases and the kind of the more um, contemporary paint schemes and you know we do a lot of weathering now and a lot of you know rust and grit and stuff and and as a result you lose that kind of that that warmth and that glow and they are you know the I guess it's almost like what I'm sort of saying about like contemporary sculpting as well like it's it's, it's technically cleaner and it's technically sharper and smarter and you know some of the insane stuff GW do now you know models sort of tiptoeing on one finger upside down whilst you know frisbeeing knives <laughs> that were the first set of plastics, so not the current Goblin Fanatics, the ones mm-hmm. before that. And I think that was just as GW were getting into 3D sculpting in a big way. Yeah. And they're crap. <laughs> I'm brutally okay. <laughs> The detail is so soft, and there's so many, like, you know, it's like, oh, it starts as a sword, and it just disappears into mulch, so you don't really know what you're painting. Mm-hmm. And then you go back to the kind of the um, the, the second version, which was the Kev Adams ones, the kind of the, you know, your classic metal Mike Goblin yeah. ones. They just hold up to this day, and they're what 28, 29 years old now. You know, yeah, doing green stuff, and, and you just think, yeah, the, the, the metal was not that bad actually. And even the, I think the yeah, Kev did the second lot, and then Brian would have probably done the third lot, and those hold up well as well. They're, you know, that was that interesting transition from Kev's goblins to Brian's goblins. Mm. Both have their charm, and I, I mean, I'm working on a like ironically, I've, I've realized I've put together the. Um, the start collecting green skins box, but in fourth edition models. Oh, cool! <laughs> so it's the nice one. Kind of the current plastic. It's all it's all the old and yeah, Kev. So the the, the orcs are Kev, but the boar boys are Brian's. And there is a mm-hmm. you know there is a difference in style there, but they still hang together quite nicely. Mm-hmm. And it's that year, you know, Kev is just dialed slightly more into the cartoony fantastic, and Brian's dialed slightly more into the kind of the the grim dark. Yeah. I mean, so really, yeah. It's a big group of riding on a big pig. There's no realism there at all, but you know what I mean? But they still hang together really well. Yeah. And they just have a personality that I think is lacking. Um, and I think, you know, you, you're seeing it, you know, GW getting much, much better at it. And, and you know, stuff that's coming in that's very impressive. And I think someone like uh, Maxime, who did all the Nurgle stuff, or all the Nurgle stuff. And, and certainly, I mean, it's amazing. Like, Ali is still there and still, yeah. you know, working 3D now and, and taking, you know, decades of experience you know you, you go back and you look at his old work and it's incredible and his new work's incredible as well it's just in a completely different style and a completely different material yeah. it's impressive yeah so I think that you know now games works have dialed into this is what we can do with 3D and this is how we make it good but I certainly think I mean I was work, like I said I was working in a store when uh, oh god it was the 6th edition um Lustria campaign and that was when they first said oh we've just sculpted parts of the Skaven they did the Plague Monks and the Ragers those were some of the first models they did in 3D because I remember they were talking about it in my dwarf and you know ironically those models are still for sale now but I don't think they particularly hold up mm. um, so you compare them and you know how like I say how kind of bulky the detail was and how it really didn't merge together into a lot of like a, you, you didn't have that clean distinction between you know you know surface to surface to surface material to material to material um, whereas where they're at now it's like wow this is so crisp and so detailed and so clever sometimes perhaps too clever for their own good like I'm, I am a bit sick of, of like I feel, I feel like all the models now the big stuff it's like a like a you know like a bobblehead dog because <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's like this tiny frail bit of plastic you're like, like how do I even put that in a figure case and let them take it to a game yeah. but yeah but I mean it, you know technically mind blowing 
Mm. Sometimes I was wondering, like, do you guys realise we do like to go around a mate's house and play a game with it? So yeah. they kind of like, put a special container for it. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's funny that you mentioned um, confrontation, because I, I never knew that you were into confrontation before. Yeah, yeah, really, really loved it. I've got, I mean, uh, again, I'm so, basically, when I... Um, I, I moved around a fair bit in my youth, and um, when I moved to London, I was basically unemployed for eight months, so I mostly paid my way by selling my miniatures collection, which is quite depressing. So yeah, originally I had uh, uh, scorpions or drizz, 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 griffins, uh, wolfen, and I've kept my midnor, I've got the complete line oh, of nice. Because they were just something else. Like, like all the Rackham stuff was good, but you looked yeah. at those Midnor and you were like, no, this is something just so different and so fascinating. So I kept them, but the rest I had to sell just to, just to pay for pay for my rent and food. Unfortunately, no, that was a, like yeah, I got him. Uh, I mean, I had a. It was really interesting because when I was in my first year of uni, we had a local gaming store, and it was, to be honest, my first real exposure to being able to buy miniatures anywhere other than a Games Workshop. So all of a sudden, it was like, oh, there's not just Games Workshop miniatures out there. There's all these other ranges. And so I picked up some confrontation, and that was just as Warmstream as being launched in the UK as well. I remember the the guy who ran the store was like, oh, look at this. This is a brand new game. You might be interested. I was like, yeah, no, that looks really cool, but, you know, I'm I'm a poor student, and I can only afford to play one game. Warhammer was the game. So a year later, I'd, I'd uh, moved to because I did a, a art course. So I did my, a foundation in one place, and moved to a second university for my full degree. And when I was there, some guy was like, "Oh, I've just picked up this game called War Machine." I was like, oh, this, "Yeah, I remember seeing this when this this launched." Oh yeah, the kind of crazy little chicken robots. That was really fun, and we started playing it. And, you know, that was that was an interesting interesting phase. Yeah. Yeah, so I started playing with Mission Confrontation, and really, again, it was a combination of the scale, like a, that handful of really beautiful miniatures, and that's mm-hmm. the only scale. Like, yeah, you've got a dozen figures in your army. And just the way it played, it was like the, the combat system was very, very uh, detailed, like path too detailed for its own good. Mm-hmm. But it was a really, and you know, that fact you could always, like, a, there's always like a 1 in 36 chance of just chopping your opponent's head off so you go. Yeah. <laughs> It's fine, and you double six him in the giant's dead, and you're like, wow, okay, that, that just happened. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. And, and I didn't hate 3rd edition. I thought it was an interesting rule set. Obviously, the move to a prepaid plastic was just a catastrophe. Yep. And then, you know, killing the company. Um, and it's a shame, really, because, again, the AT43 as well, I, I love the look of it, but I was like, I'm not doing PVC models. I just don't have nope. time for this. Yep, exactly. good. And, and they, did, like, they did, like, one unit in res, and I remember they released the golems in res, and I was like, if you'd have just done that for everything, yeah. I'd have been in. And it's the same, like, you know, dust... Um, like I'm, uh, I have a, a passing acquaintance with uh, Gregoire, who's uh, he used to be with Rackham actually. He works for for Paolo now, and uh, yeah, we bumped into Paolo and, and Greg at uh, yeah Gen Con and stuff every year. Mm. And and again, I, you know, I, I love what they do, but it's that pre-assembled PPC thing. And actually, now they're doing kits, so you build it yourself. And I'm like, oh, yeah, now we can talk. Yeah. <laughs> I love the I love the style. I love the look. But I'm just not interested in like. Someone else has built and painted this, and perhaps they've not done a brilliant job, and it's PVC, and I really, like, I've got a thing about PVC, you know, like, I guess, you know, War Machine moved to PVC for a while, and my problem is I'm a, you know, I'm a reasonable painter, and I enjoy painting, and you just can't 
clean PVC up properly and it's always soft and it's never got the crisp details that you want to do a really good paint job. So I think, you know, it's great for board games. I have no issue with it for, for you know, pre-assembled board games. And it's great for new players and stuff. But like, when you're, you know, because it's the painting, you know, I'm sure you're the same. You spend so many hours of your life painting compared to the amount of hours you get gaming that you want it to be an enjoyable experience. And I just don't enjoy painting PVC. It's not even painting, just working with it, just getting it cleaned up and ready to paint. Such a slog compared to anything else. So, yeah, I think it was a real blight. And I think most companies have moved away from it again. You still see it on Kickstarter a fair bit. You know, I have to be careful because I work for a company and we do sell some PVC miniatures, one very specific box, but you know, maybe that box is being retired in the near future. Well, yeah, maybe. Um, it, 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 but it just is... Like I said, it's great for new people. I'm, I'm always conscious. Like, one of the things I'm really careful to do, so obviously, uh, well, <laughs> until the great plague of 2019-2020, I spent a lot of time at conventions introducing people to, to the hobby and introducing people to games. So I'm always careful not to be like, like, I have my prejudices, but I don't want to impact them on other people. Because if you're if you're new or if you've got a different taste or different experience, mm. it's not helpful for some old kid like me to be like, oh, well, this is the only way you should do your hobby. And if you do it, otherwise you're wrong. Like, that's not what I'm about at all. I'm like, yeah. get people into hobbies. It's such a great hobby and you can do so many different things with it. So, like, there is absolutely a time and a place for BBC. It's just not what I'm looking for. So I tend to steer away from games that involve it. But it is interesting that, that yeah, you're starting to see that now. And it's just a shame, like, you know, Rackham is, is a bit like um, uh, Mutant Chronicles. And again, I have to be careful because we do the Mutant Chronicles RPG, the company I work for. But, like, it just feels like this, this license that everyone's desperate to get it and everyone wants to bring it back. And every time it comes back, it just kills another company. Yeah. So, like, Mutant Chronicles finishes. Like, I, I know Bob, who's, um, you know, I don't know, are you familiar with Mutant Chronicles at all? Uh, I am familiar with it. Uh, yep. uh, like it came out in the nineties, didn't it? Yeah, it's an old game. Yeah, it's a very old. Game. Um, so there's a character called Bob Watts, who's this uh, black guy with two missile launchers on his shoulders. Yeah. So Bob Watts is the guy who used to run like Heartbreaker, who's this oh, old white yeah. American dude that I know. So it's quite funny that they named this totally, you know, they're like a million miles apart. Anyway, so Bob Watts is guy that's been in the industry forever. Like I keep telling him he's got to write a book about his experience. He spent most time with Gygax. He was the CEO of Games Workshop America for a while. He's a total legend in the industry. Yeah. Kind of like, like, but it's weird because he's he's not really a hobbyist per se. He's he's kind of more the business side. Like I think he did used to do a bit of sculpting here and there, and then he was telling, he was telling me fun stories about casting now and his garage with his dad as a kid and stuff. Hmm. But like, you know, he was there with Heartbreak and kind of uh, first time around. And then it kind of went to, like, FFG had a go, and obviously Prodos had a go, and now it's in somebody else's hands. And, you know, Fred, who owns the license, just kind of keeps trying to find someone. But it never quite lands. And I just feel like it's almost this cursed game. Yeah. I feel like I'm, it's gone the same way, where you look at how many people have tried, you know, um, again, uh, sorry, Cool Mini, wasn't it? Cool Mini had it. Yeah, that's right, yeah. And, and then, obviously, there was this, the Fell King start, and who knows what reverberations around that are going to be. And it's really awkward because we were offered 1843, or, well, I think we were offered 1843 was inverted commas up for sale, and we were looking into it um, with, with the company I worked for. But it was really weird because it wasn't like you were buying the license. It was like someone had the old studio assets, so they had some of the studio miniatures, and they had some of the artwork and stuff, but it wasn't like it was really unclear and it just, like, you know, something just fell off about it because it wasn't like, oh, you are buying the rights to make the game, reproduce the miniatures, use the artwork, here are the rules, blah, 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 blah. 
it was almost like someone had like got a carbon box out of the back of an office somewhere and said, oh, we can sell this and claim it's 8043. So obviously we didn't go for it. And I'm just like, man, it would be so nice if someone could just land those two in, uh, properties and do something with them. But I think as well, part of me is like, let them go. Like, they were beautiful, but they were off their time. And one of the one of the things I think is a shame is we're always kind of recycling the same old IPs yeah. and the same old stories. And it's like you know what's so good about confrontation at the time is it was brand new. Yeah. Yeah, does it need like does it need to be brought back, or is it time for someone else? Like, is it time for the next confrontation? And I think it's a really difficult thing at the moment because obviously we're you know once again we're in the, the, the great plague of 2019, 2020, and it's a strange world out there all of a sudden. But like. And, and GW, like I sort of joke, you know, GW was asleep for like a decade. But the good thing for GW is they are like the biggest fish in a tiny pond. So even though they were asleep, they had such momentum and such legacy behind them that they were just ticking along. And, and while that's happening, all these little fish came up, you know, your private presses, your Rackham's, your, uh, you know, Power with Dust, all these companies, uh, Infinity, Corpus Belly with Infinity, they all popped up and, and started to like take a bit of GW's market share with all these really exciting new properties and really exciting new games. You know, I love all those companies. They do incredible stuff. Mm. And then GW woke up and went, Oh, we're awake now. Oh, cool. We should have the money back. Thanks. We'll have all played. And, and like overnight, all of those companies were like, and, and again, I, you know, I'm speaking to someone who works in the industry who is, you know, we are technically in competition with Games Workshop. But I think ultimately the truth is nobody's in competition with Games Workshop because they're just such a juggernaut now. There's mm-hmm. an, an amusing thread on Dakar about like, you know, what would it take to defeat Games Workshop? And the answer is a time machine and a shitload of money because like, they've just got. 35 years of anybody else and such a player base and you know every you know every town in the UK has got games which on the corner most American cities have you know multiple gaming stores or comic shops or whatever it is selling you know there's so many paths in with games workshop and the rest of us are like oh we've got a game too and you're just you know you're screaming into the um, yeah. but it is exciting you know like as much as you know like you know we're here talking about games workshop and games workshop is how i got into this hobby is you know it's how we've met each other i love games workshop so i love their worlds i love their, mm. their games their miniatures it is exciting seeing what other people can do mm. and you know Kickstarter, the internet, all these things have allowed these other companies to, to kind of pop up. And my worry is we're on a kind of decline again. Now, but I guess it's like a video game crash, isn't it? Is it got hyped and hyped and hyped and hyped, bigger and bigger and bigger, and everyone's like, oh, I'm going to make a computer game. And then ultimately, it's like the market can't sustain everyone, and there are some unfortunate casualties. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I don't even know where I'm going with this. I just. <laughs> soldiers you know but yeah like i think that, that there's got to be a new ip soon like there's got to be someone's got to break through and i don't know what was like like gilball broke through for a while but obviously they've just uh canned gilball and i think the tricky thing now is like like again like, i get into my kind of old old man grumbly rambles where i'm like and i say old man i'm not that old but <laughs> <laughs> you're a lot younger than me mate yeah Run, mm. like it's insane. 
that's not how plastic miniatures work, and yet they can turn a profit doing that. Yeah. Whereas the rest of us are like, you know, we're still making models of resin or metal. You know, every every sort of one of us tries hard plastic. You know, uh, styrene gives it a go. Sometimes it lands. Obviously, Malifaux's done really well. They they um, they do most of their range in hard plastic. They're like dabbling in PVC now, which makes me sad, but never mind. But it's that thing of like there is you know, and again, you buy games which are now full color artwork throughout, you know, painting guides, you know, hobby guides, photography, stories, all that stuff, and all of that comes at a huge development cost. Trust me, I know these things. Yeah. And it's that you know, it's going to be harder and harder for the kind of the scrappy young companies to break through um, because there is just that perception from the customer that this is what a game should be. Whereas I think back in the kind of the early two thousands. Like, you know, War Machine Launch is a fully metal game. Like, it prided itself, possibly to its own detriment, as this, you know, full metal, everything's metal, you know, if you want to play with plastic, you're a kid, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I, I think there was always a certain amount of tongue-in-cheek behind that marketing. Mm. But it did speak to a kind of an era of gamer who, you know, we are used to working in metal. You know, I still enjoy working in metal. It, it has mm. its flaws, of course, every material does, but it's, you know, it's, it's still a fun and it feels right, you know what I mean? Yeah. But I think a modern gamer is put off by metal, and you, know, you see a lot of people talk about, like, oh, there's a Kickstarter and metal miniatures, like, oh, I don't want metal miniatures, or they're doing resin, it's like, oh, I don't really want resin. And you just kind of go, yeah, but I can't launch a miniatures range where every single one of my miniatures costs £10,000 plus yeah. to get to the manufacturing point, let alone manufacturing sell. And I think, you know, one of the things people maybe don't realise about the toy soldier business is nobody's really getting rich out of it unless your name's Games Workshop. Yeah. So, like, the margins are crap, like, especially if you have to go through distribution, which you have to to you know, reach out to people. Mm. Like, none of these guys are sitting there in, you know, driving flash cars and, and living in massive houses mm-hmm. because it's... It, it's just not, it's such a niche hobby. Mm. And it's that, you know, niche within a niche within a niche. Because yeah. it's, you know, wargaming, historical wargaming perhaps would be considered bigger in some respects, but it's a, a broader subject because, you know, uh, historical gamers, yeah, well, yeah, one of the, one of the, like, I'm, I'm not a historical guy, it's just not my speed, but one of the things I'm always envious of with historical is you have that freedom of choice where it's like, I want to buy a bunch of, I don't know, American GIs for the same moment. I can buy American GIs from so many different people in so many different scales and mm-hmm. so many different materials. I can find the models I like. Whereas you're like, oh, I want to play, I don't know, Warhammer Witch Elves. You kind of only can go to one, maybe two places for that. Mm. And so you're very restricted. And and I guess what I'm in a roundabout way coming back to is that idea of like, yeah, the next breakout game is going to be really difficult to break out because the path to victory is so much harder now. And the perception from things like Kickstarter has skewed the industry away from actually being quite sustainable. And I think Kickstarter is such a dangerous thing. Like, I, you know, I've used a lot of Kickstarters, and obviously the, the Modifius, who I work for, we do use Kickstarter, although I'm trying to wean us off it where I can. In particularly with war games, it has the unfortunate effect of like, cause the thing about a war game is you need a community. A war game without a community is a dead game. And the only way you can get a community is by getting people out together playing games. So obviously, you know, now is a terrible time to be trying to launch a game, trust yeah, me. Because <laughs> nobody's out playing games anymore. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it, yeah, it's that thing of like, you've got to build the community and you've got to drive that community and get people together and get people talking about it. And the problem with the Kickstarter is you go, oh, cool, there's this game. Oh, it looks really exciting and the model's cool. And if I give them $100, I'll get 100 MPVC miniatures. So I'll do that because that sounds like a good deal. And so you, you spend your Kickstarter money and the Kickstarter's successful. And then nothing happens for like a year and a half, two years because they've got to manufacture the game and get it out to you. So by the time it arrives in your hands, 
nobody's interested anymore because it's two years old and it's old news. Yeah. They've never been able to build that critical mass of a player base where, you know, you've picked up in a store, you've tried out, you've taken it to your club, you've shown your mates, and they're like, oh, that looks kind of interesting. And then you pick up a box and it, you know, it naturally grows. Yeah. Kickstarter kind of stops that happening because you're either in on the Kickstarter and thus you've bought it, but you might be, you know, you might have bought a game that none of your mates bought and are not interested in. And then it's not in a store, so they can't be dragged in. You can't tease them. You, know, you can't play those pick-up games with them in the club and get them excited, and then they go to the store and pick up as well. And so actually, like, I think for board games, it's fine. For RPGs, it's probably fine. For, for miniatures, I'm really not sure it's that viable path. And as a result, you know, we get with GW waking up and stealing everyone's lunch money. I really, you know, it sounds a bit doom and gloom because this, yeah, my job's kind of off the line here. That's what I do. <laughs> you, you, you know, it's, we're all trying to work out what's the path to success in this, you know, new age that mm. will allow us to coexist in that kind of the, the, the GW sphere. Because at the end of the day, I'm not going to be like, oh, I'm making, you know, sci-fi space knights versus mushroom green men. Like, I can't do that because GW's like, no, I've already got that one, thanks. And it is that tricky thing as well. It's a bit like um, MMOs, isn't it? Like, everyone's like, oh, I've got to build the next World of Warcraft. The problem is, the people who want to play World of Warcraft play World of Warcraft. So they're not interested in your totally not World of Warcraft MMO. Because they've already got the one they want. And that's the really tricky thing with this industry where, I don't know what this has got to do with Middle Hammer. I don't know what. There you go, Will. There you go, really well. No, 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 don't, don't apologize. It's good. It's, it's good. It's good. <laughs> I've enjoyed it so far, mate. It's been great. Yeah, it's been good. It's been a bit of a history or a bit of an insight into the into the industry that we don't normally get to look at or maybe maybe ponder upon, but don't really know much about what you know the insiders are thinking about or how how the processes are done or decisions are made or financial um, burdens people companies take on. It's a tricky one because sometimes you just make stuff because you like it, and that's one of the things. Like you know, uh, the so I work for, we do a lot. But like we started as a role playing company. Yeah. I got involved when they started. Uh, they wanted to make war games. They just they started to work on the Fallout. Um, so actually, it was technically their second war game, but it was their first kind of big inverted commas war game. And obviously, that's a big IP, and you know they're like, right, we need people who play with toy soldiers. So I got uh, to that, which is great. Um, and and yeah, it is that thing where like you know, so I, I, I you know I, I work with Chris who is Diffus. I've met Ronnie from Mantic. I know Bob. You know, all these guys who are, you know names in the industry, people people would recognise and know. And they are all sort of driven by the kind of the, the, the vision of I want to make a thing because I like it. Mm. And so the whole, like, is this financially viable sometimes isn't really a question that anybody asks. Um, <laughs> you have to try and make it financially viable. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's a really interesting process. But, like, what I, you know, what I would say, what I do love about my job is um, you know, designing miniatures. So obviously, I'm not a sculptor. I wish I was a sculptor. But what I do do is I envision, you know, I, I tend to be the one generating the briefs and conceptualizing models for our own IP. Um, mm. So, you know, obviously, with Fallout, I can't, you know, I can't create a new thing in Fallout because Bethesda would be like, no, you can't do that. But we take their ideas and, you know, I would be like, oh, we're going to do a, a new Superman for the sake of argument. So this Superman from this bit of the game, and I want him to be posed like this, I want him to be stood on, you know, this on his base, carrying these weapons, you know, doing this, interacting in these ways. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's really exciting. Then, you know, yeah. I'll, I'll get reference artwork, reference photography, we put it all together, send it to the sculptors as they're working, we'll be like, oh, how's this looking? Is this the right pose? Is that quite how you feel about it? That's brilliant. Like, that's the most fun because it is, like, it, you know, I'm one step removed from sculpting, but I am part of that process. 
And there's nothing better than when you get to the end of it and you go, oh, cool, I've got a model now, and this model exists, you know, through the sculptors and through me. Like, it's a physical representation of what we wanted to do. Mm. And this is what we love, right? We love miniatures, that's why we do this. Yeah. And now this one exists because of us. How cool yeah. is that? How cool is that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like, that's, that's one of the highlights of the job. And, and obviously, yeah, going to shows, obviously, 2019, 2020 has been a bit of a bust on that front. Like, yeah, missing Gen Con this year, mm. missing a depth on, you know, Salute. Like, all, all the big names, like, you know, I think the first shows with Medifix, I did 11 shows in a year, mm. and one of them put me in hospital. Um, so, wow. <laughs> it, was a, you know, it was a full <laughs> show, and on day two, my appendix exploded, and I had to go to hospital. It's the end of the show. And that was, that was a tough year, but, like, yeah, like, 11 shows in a year, like, that's what I did a big tour of duty there and it's great because you, you know partly it's great because I meet old friends partly it's great because mm. I meet new friends and it's just great to get together with people and just yeah it's you the fat and um, yeah just you know catch up with people and, and talk shop really awesome. uh, and all that's gone <laughs> at the moment and, and yeah. I do think yeah, this is an industry certainly you know I, I kind of, I've always viewed it as there are three tiers so there's kind of tier one is games workshop and I really don't believe anyone else, else is in that tier and, and DW is like they're alluring to themselves they do what they want they come to the shows if they want whatever but like they are operating at a level beyond what any of us can do again because we don't have a time machine and a huge bag of money now you've got tier 2 who are the kind of the, the, the medium tier companies so that's the most people like the Diffius your, 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 your mounted games your private presses your warlords and there's, there's you know, variation within that some are higher up in that some are lower down and then there's tier 3 who are the, like the real cottage industry because there's like one or two people uh, and again there's some fantastic work coming out of that like mm. people like um I don't know if you know, you know Bass Widow, uh, Annie. Yeah, Bass I love, Widow. Yeah, I love Annie's work. Yeah, it's like people like that who are like, you know, super talented, super excited, super creative. They're, just, they're, they're kind of that smaller operation and they normally tend not to have, it's more of a miniature line than a game, but they're growing mm. and so on and so forth. And, you know, every company starts like that. You know, the start like that. Games Workshop started like that. But they're the kind of the three tiers, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's that, you know, tier two and three we thrive on gaming shows because that's how you meet your new audience. You know, I don't have a YouTube channel that reaches out to four million people a week, you know, saying, oh, here's what's new in Warhammer. So we have to be at those shows. We have to be, you know, bringing the flesh, doing games, introducing people to the ranges. And all of that has gone away. And it's going to be sad to see if, you know, not everyone might make it through that. You know, I hope as many of us do as we can because I think that's the other thing as well it's like I don't I wouldn't say there's that much competition like we all you know mm. yeah we're sort of fighting for the same hobby uh, you know budget and the same kind of hobby mind space but on the whole I, I don't know that like I've never been at a stand and we're like throwing shade at that <laughs> yeah. we just have- you know, you, you chill out, you go for dinner afterwards with people, we swap, you know, swap games at the end of the show, train amongst ourselves, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. It's, it is a, you know, I got, you know, this was the job of a lifetime because I've spent my lifetime playing with toy soldiers. So to be able to be on the kind of the, the creative side of that and to, you know, to spend my own, like, actually dedicate my life to it is so awesome. And I hope that doesn't go away for a lot of these people because, I, I you know, we're all just hobbyists, right? And that's the sort of joke I was, you know, anything to tell so lucky to work in I'm like I am lucky mm. because I'm just a gamer like you like, the only difference is I got a lucky break yeah. I mean, well I, I busted a girl I spent seven years running a show that did put me in front of people and people got to know my name so that did help so I'm not saying it was like 
totally by accident. Like, I, there was a kind of a, a bizarre, like, it wasn't even a strategy because I never thought I'd be able to do this for a living. Yeah. But there was things I did that led to this. But I did get lucky. And it, it is, you know, it is just me nerding out. And bizarrely, someone gives me a paycheck at the end of the month whilst I'm nerding out. Which is like, <laughs> so, yeah, like, it's crazy, man. Like, it's crazy. Yeah, you're living the dream, mate. That's for sure. That's nice, eh? Yeah. yeah. Wonderful. <laughs> well, let's let's swing it back to um, let's swing it back to because you're you're a great painter. I've seen a lot of your stuff, and I, I'm sure a lot of people have seen your stuff on on the Epic and uh, the Hirohama groups or Metalhammer groups uh, of the projects you're working on, mate. So, can you can you give us a bit of an insight on, on uh, what kind of you know Metalhammer or Hirohama yeah. projects you're working on? Well, actually, talk about what the podcast about. It's a good plan. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah. uh, like, it's really interesting. So, I'm, like, thank you for saying I'm a good painter. I think I'm an okay painter. Yeah, you're a great painter. Yeah, very good. I struggle, you know. I, I think everyone doubts themselves, don't they? But, like, I, I know I'm... Like, I, I had that thing where um, I've always painted. Even when I didn't play so much, I always painted. Like, painting is what I do for kind of relaxation. It's almost it's my meditation. It's very zen. Um, and for years, I was actually painting, you know, commission for people mm. and then I even went full-time commission mm. and what I realized was like, I spend all my time painting other people's models and I have to paint down because when you're painting for commission it's about speed not quality mm. and I was like just what am I doing myself you know I, like I've, I've got all these models sat in the loft waiting to be painted and I don't paint them because I'm painting for other people this is stupid so I decided right now I'm not doing this anymore and you know yeah. you know luckily landed this job and paychecks enough I don't have to pay commission anymore etc yeah. so I was really like okay cool now I can just paint for myself now and it was around about that time that I kind of started paying attention to the fact that there was this online community for the older games and um, you know, I had my Imperial Guard uh, like I bought the bulk of my Imperial Guard when um, Epic 40k ended I, you know, I think you and I are probably are well aware of the kind of slightly bumpy history that game had, but yeah. I, you know, I think it's quite gruesome, really. But when they when they killed it, they just sold everything at like ridiculous prices. So I just remember one day I went into GW and there was just this pile on the table, and they were like, "Oh yeah, uh, Gorkamorka, twenty quid. You have Gorkamorka in the expansion pack and a bunch of blister packs, and uh, oh, here's a here's a bag for ten pounds from Epic." And so I picked up one of those bags, and it was just full of Epic Imperial Guard tanks. Mm. So, like, I got, like, all of my tank companies for a tenner. Like, wow. Which was so cool. And then a couple of years later, they did all the plastics for a pound of screw. So, again, I just fed up my order. I got 20 quid. Send me 20 quid worth of Imperial Guardians. So, oh. like, I've carried this army. And it was one of the few things I didn't sell. So, I've had this epic uh, Imperial Guard army since the edition. Um, and carried it around. But it was second edition. So, um... You know, going back again to the origin story, that the the, you know, the, the, the the castle was the Imperator Titan, and the first White Dwarf I ever picked up was uh, issue one eight eight, where they had the battle report with the Imperator and the Reaver Battlegroup versus the uh, Mega Gargan and the Gargan mob. Cool. And straight away, I was like, "This is what I'm about." And so I picked up some orcs, you know, even back then in second edition, but I never picked up the rules. And then years later, uh, it was when kind of the net epic was taken off, and I had some friends that played it, and I had this Walker, uh, sorry, this Imperial Guard army, and I started looking around, and I think at that time prices weren't too bad on eBay, so yeah. I picked up some more, well, yeah. um, and just, you know, was, was dabbling with that, and I, I painted a bunch of these orcs, and then 
stop paying commission. Was like, right, I've got these orcs, I've got these imperial guard, and I, and I know I love epic mm. like, because it was it was the game that spoke to me when I read that white dwarf. Yeah. And so I, I went online and I you know picked up the boxes, and that's yeah, that's how we met. And you you helped me finish my my uh, my cards stack because the the, the box I was missing a couple cards, and you you totally filled that for me, which was amazing. Cool. So I had the complete run of of, of the epic space ring with all of the expansions. And it just started, you know, anywhere I could find models for a decent price, I would grab them. So I've now built up a collection of, like I say, every, every uh, army from 2nd edition Space Marine I can field. Most of them are basically complete. There's a, like I say, there's a couple of tyrannies I'm missing. There's the odd, you know, like uh, I don't have a Bane um, um, Lord, for example. But apart from that, like, I basically think it's like probably filled it using what I've got, which is mm. like, it's an amazing position to be. And so I was like, right, I've got to stop paying this. And I started. Bizarrely, I started the squats, which an army I've never really had a huge affinity for. I always, I love them in terms of the bikers and stuff, but I, you know, they, they were gone from second edition 40k, really, and they've you know, yet to come back. They'll be back one day, but they're not back yet. So it's like, oh, I'll start with squats because they're quite a compact army, no pun intended. That military, like, because I, I did I did them in kind of a military green rather than more traditional. Yeah. Very bright. Um, and so that was really good fun, and I need to go back and finish them because I got halfway. But then what happened was I was at um, I was at Gen Con, and a, a mate of mine stops. He's an American guy I've met yeah, through War Machine, another really good painter. Mm-hmm. So I like, John, I know you play a lot of Epic, and I'm clearing out my house, and I've got this set of models, and it's worth like I can't tell you how much you should have charged me for it. Because I want you to have it in exchange for a paint job. So I oh, did. Nice. It. And it was just this it, like it's a complete set of chaos. And I was like, dude, like you, you have no idea. And he's like, no, no, I know what it's worth. And I was like, okay, fine, you do know what it's worth. Partly as a kind of a, you know, a thank you to start, but partly because it was like such a cool, like what I love about the Chaos Army, uh, and to be fair, the Orcs as well. Like, the other reason I, you know, I've, I've only painted my golf so far, but like one of the reasons I go back to my Orcs eventually is they're so varied and multicolored and exciting. Mm. So I'm, uh, like, my plan this year was, like, I've, I've had two armies on the go. I've had a, a, a Night Goblin army, which I use in both Age of Sigmar and the 5th edition. Mm. And my plan was to get that to 1,000 points, which I've just finished. And I've had this Chaos army on the go for Epic, and my plan is to get that to 3,000 points. And I've got four more models to go, and that's done. And it's great, because, uh, like, I've done it, um, you know, uh, so far I've done the corn, like, 1,000 points of corn, 1,000 points of Nurgle, and 1,000 points of Zeech. And pause them each, I've paid three models, I'll come back to them eventually. Um, but it's just, you know, you, they're in the cabinet, you've got, you know, one quarter of the cabinet is bright red, one quarter is bright blue, and one quarter is kind of murky green. Yeah. And it just looks amazing. And, and it was one of the, again, it was that weird thing where I ended up getting... Um, the original metal demons, which for some strange reason are at a completely different scale to any other infantry model in the game. I don't know what was happening when they sculpted them, and they're all, you know, single figures to a base, not five to a base. They're just massive, they tower over the other infantry for some strange reason. Oh, yeah. And I was yeah. never a huge fan of them just because of the scale. Yeah. But, like, I've now basically painted them all, and they do look really, like, they almost look like they should be in a 10mm Warhammer. Like, like I mean, you see the guys play Mini Hammer now, which is basically 10mm Warhammer, and I'm like, I've kind of got a, a mini hammer army here because I painted this epic scale army and they just would very easily pour over. But they just look phenomenal. Like, I I've fallen in love with them in a way that I didn't realise at the time. I was just like, I never liked them because they were on the scale. But they're really fun little sculpts. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, so I've been really working on that. And, and yeah, like I said, I got, I got to 
a squadron of um, Doom Wings that's on the table now. I've got two that I'm hoping to finish up this weekend. And then all that's left after that is the uh, Firehawk and uh, the second of the uh, towers, the sort of towers. And um, shameless plug, I've sculpted. I say I've sculpted, I've had sculpted, I've commissioned, I designed and got commissioned, uh, commissioned um, some silver towers and the, um, it's called the Pain Tower, isn't it? It's the, the Man of War one. Yeah. Uh, through my, my little, like, I wouldn't even call it a startup company. It was basically, I just, I needed these miniatures for my collection. I was like, oh, well, if I get them done, maybe other people would like them too. So it's called uh, Doom Pig Miniatures. Check me out on Facebook, you can, you can grab them. So I've got, like, that's, that's kind of fun as well. Like, two of the models in that force are my own miniatures, like proxies. Cool. But I think that's the yeah. other great thing about Epic now. There are just, you know, there's people like Vanguard and Onslaught. And, yeah. you know, so many people doing these incredible, like, pseudo 40k replacements. Because, of course, you know, can get the miniatures from GW. eBay prices, I don't know about you, but, like, it's just impossible now. You, you, you snap the odd bargain up if you're really paying attention. But trying I don't to even bother, mate. Don't even bother. Painful, right? Yeah. And so I'm like, well, do you know what? I'm rather than, you know, I mean, I, my joke at the moment is you know, this is the most expensive epic model I will ever buy mm. because so far I have not made back what I put into this. I've put quite a lot of money into getting it sculpted, etc. But I'm hopeful that, like, in a long enough time frame, I will make the money back, which will then let me reinvest that into another set of miniatures. So I'd like to keep building it. Up. So please buy my towers if you're listening. <laughs> but yeah, uh, um, like, you can now build forces, but there is that, you know, for me, and you know, one of the reasons that I was you know, trading with you, helping you finish those cars, there is something about being able to rebuild. You know, we, we've sort of spoken about it actually online, that kind of, a, an army that you saw in a battle report, mm. being able to feel that yourself mm-hmm. is kind of like a really important achievement, right? As yep. weird as that sounds, yeah. but it's like, a, this means I'm as, like, I'm at the point in the hobby that White Dwarf was at, and I can look at it and I go, that's my version of that army. So, like, I'm, you know, with my Night Goblins, I'm nearly at the point where I can field the, um, <clears throat> 2,000 point army that you've got in the Open Goblin list that fights the, uh, the Open Goblin army book that fights the dwarves. Yep, 2,000 points, like, yeah. Yeah, so I'm I'm almost to the point where I can feel that fully painted. I've got paint. Um, I've got to get some river trolls. I've just picked up some stone trolls. And I've got to paint the spider general, spider rider general. And I think half an hour I can fill that army now. Nice, and again, man. that's just like yeah. a really cool moment. And yeah, same with the chaos. Like there's a like a, a really so, so pathetic. Like I found a, an epic battle report I've never read before in Old White Dwarf, which was the Chaos versus Orcs one. I was like, oh my god, this was like, it's like a finding um, unearthed treasure. Because I've, re- I've read them all, you know, I've read all the White Dwarfs, I've read all the second edition Battle Reports, and this was one I'd not read before, and it was a new Chaos Army. So, you know, trying to work towards those armies. Because there's that one, there's the one where they fight the Blood Angels as well. Like, when you can feel those armies, mm. it's just. And of course, it's that, you know, I think that's what, again, one of those, like, the differences. Like, this is looping right back to my. Because this is how I, I, I waffle on, and I, I remember things I've said to you an hour ago, or whatever it's been. So, <laughs> the idea of like the tournament gamer versus the the kind of the the, 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 the narrative gamer, the, I don't know, casual gamer, whatever word you want to use, that is probably horribly loaded and people are offended by it, or whatever. So, yeah, when you play War Machine, when you play competitive 40k, <clears throat> the trick with competitive gaming is you find the thing that is essentially better for its points than anything else and the more of that you take the more of that disparity is apparent so like you'd find you know in War Machine you'd have this one unit that was so good so you take three of that unit in your army 
because it was so powerful compared to everything else in the army list. I mean, what I always loved about you know, White Dwarf and, and Game of Thrones armies is they'd only ever paint one of anything, maybe two if it was like a war machine or something. Yeah. So whenever they built an army, they could never take two of a unit. Yeah. So you never had that thing of like, oh, I know, I don't know, for the sake of argument, Orc Boar Boys are the best unit. So I'm going to take three units of Orc Boar Boys and therefore my army is better than it should be because of the point of clarity, because there's no such thing yeah. about it. So let me tell you, as a you know, slightly tongue-in-cheek, but as a professional war game developer and designer, there is no such thing as balance. There's, there's the... Thank you. You're always trying to work to the conceiver. You're trying to get as close to balance yeah. as possible. Yeah. But in a game with that many moving parts, and in a game that is not fixed, because you always introduce new concepts and new models, balance in its truest perfect form cannot exist. It's just an unattainable goal. We all work towards it. We all want to, you know, you want to believe that your game is balanced. It's not, but it's as good as anyone can make it in, you know, in the time frame with the constraints they've got. So, random aside aside, you know, that's, that's me. And again, I'm sure I'll get hate mail for that, but I do this for a living, goddammit, it's true. Um, like, with that in mind, you always look at those White Dwarf articles, and you see those armies, and it was that, you know, the kind of the one of everything, the Highlander, that's what we call it in War Machines, you have one of everything, there can only be one. And it just, to me, you know, I always found this thing where if you picked up an army book and you worked out an army containing one of everything, it usually came to about 3,000 points. And I swear it was intentional because that was always the, like, the dream, right? If you get yourself to a fully paid 3,000 point army, you're like the king of wargaming. You've done it. You've achieved the goal of the wargame. And, and it is that thing of like, yeah, if you do not duplicate your units and you have one of everything, that's balanced because you haven't duplicated the broken stuff and ignored the crap stuff. You've taken it regardless. And that's what I always love with those battle reports and what I love with those armies is you, you know, that's a really cool goal where you can say, no, I've taken just one of everything. And, uh, you know, as a result, like, it was like you read the army uh, the battle reports with Epic and whenever they took orcs, they'd always have tiny clans because they'd like, take the basic clan and maybe add a couple of vehicles to it and so they break and, and lose whereas actually if you want to win with orcs you take massive clans and just keep them more and more and more cars on them to the point where they're just unbreakable yeah. but they didn't and, and as a result like it, it, it was so much cleaner and it just looked right if that makes sense mm-hmm. Um, and that's so that's what I'm trying to achieve essentially is a very confident way of explaining what I'm doing so this year I'm on track to finish my 3,000 points and I'm looking forward to next year I'm probably like I'm I'm thinking about doing a Dark Elf army I've got a hundred like Dark Elves were my first army in my my world true love I've got four Dark Elf armies over the year Mm-hmm. Yes, I think it's going to be Dark Elf Army number five. Um, but I'm also going to carry on. Like I really want to push into the core uh, wing on my uh, Epic Army. And I think it's one of those things, like, you sort of look at the four goals, and you look at the Epic Army list, and um, like I feel like Nurgle really got the short straw, because they only have kind of, you know, everyone got the, 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 the kind of the Greta Demon and then the major and minor demons. And then... You know, Corn had all the stuff in the books, so they had the Demon Engines, they had the Baylord, they had the yeah. um, Lord of Battles, all that stuff. And then Sunnish did fairly well because they got the Night release, so they got you know two sets of, of Light Irons and mm. three sets of Knights, which was really cool. And then Siege got Flyers, and then yeah, Nurgle got the Blade Tower and the Cloud Pulse, and that was it. And yeah. you know, it was like, oh, but like, I feel like my Nurgle's done, so I've done a playdown, I've done some catapults, and I've done all the demons, and that's kind of all you can do for Nurgle in Epic. Whereas Korn has this abundance of units, you know, they've, they've got, um, uh, 
juggernauts, and they've, they've got demon engines, and they've got the blood of uh, uh, Lord of Battles, and, they've, and you just think, oh yeah, I should probably spend some time in court. So I think I'm probably going to end up with like a very cool sweet heavy army, just because they were the ones that got the most releases. Um, so yeah, I think that, that'll be next year, but certainly being up to 3,000 bucks for you this year of Chaos is going to be great. Um, and I probably should go back to those swaps at some point, because I've, like, I've got like a half-painted squat army, and it's like, just finished the goddamn army, like, what's going on? <laughs> I just started my, my Bad Moon clan and I got distracted and that's one of the things I'm really trying to do now I'm trying to commit to actually finishing like you know so I've been all today like a, sort of a unit of goblins then a card from the epic and then a unit of goblins card from the epic back and forward yeah because um, I think the trouble is there is you know so many amazing miniatures and you know I have a loft full of some of them a sizable chunk of them and it's just really you're always like oh I really want to paint that oh I really want to paint that oh I really want to paint that and so I get like a, a chop and change partly to stop me getting bored I guess as well like, you know doing a hundred night goblins you start to get a bit tired of painting black robes yeah, yeah, I want to really... mix up maybe some bright red corn demons just to change it up a bit yeah. Um, yeah so that's that's kind of the dream really how about you how are you getting on because you, you're doing that old goblin army that was like smashed oh, that's, that's, that's a really old army actually that's a really old army that I've had yeah since 5th um, edition um, okay. So that was basically what I pr- uh, primarily played during fifth edition, and it's basically been repainted. Like gone, over, like gone over all the bases. Obviously, I've, I've started repainting all the skin tones and touching them up a lot. Um, I bought some additional miniatures now that I had foolishly sold many years ago. So just basically, just buying all the stuff that I'd sold off back again. Uh, yeah, we, painted, yeah been, we've all been there and done that, mate, I know. And um, uh, painted up some miniatures that I had kept, like Grom the Paunch and uh, Niblet and his chariot and the Shaman and Wyvern model and Skarsnick and Gobbler and um, what else? Oh, I've got some really nice models from Nightmare Games, with a shout-out to them because Kev Adams does a lot of designs for um, that company now. So I've got some Boar Boys because I, I just wasn't uh, I like I like the old Citadel you know third edition ball boys and I've got some of those now and the Marauder ones as well so I've got a bit of a mix between them and the Nightmare games the more modern sculpts and um, yeah got some got some tr- uh, trolls I've added there now I've got uh, five trolls of the stone trolls I just need one more to complete the collection nice. and I've got all three river trolls so I'm, I'm like you mate I'm trying to get that 2,000 point uh, you know, the Orphan Goblin Army uh, versus the Dwarves uh, to play that particular it's that, scenario. It's that thing as well where you're, you're trying to, like, you're trying to get the perfect set, right? You've got to have one of each of the sculpts. Yep. And it's a killer, man. It's just like, it's just, as if collecting old models is not expensive enough, trying to make sure that you've got, like, I mean, to the point where I even try and get, like, the right combination, of, like, so let's say there are six sculpts in the unit. I want, you know, three of each. So like, I've got the perfect like mix of all of the models. Like, it's, yeah. Why do we do this to ourselves? <laughs> but, yeah, like, <laughs> those six stone trolls, man. Like again, stupidly, I sold mine. I had sold them, and uh, I've ended up. I just gave in and bought the plastics because like the new plastics are a nice homage to those mm. stone trolls. Like they're they're different. Like I wouldn't say they're better or worse. Like they they're not. Again, they've not got that nostalgia warmth. 
Um, and I just I couldn't I couldn't bring myself to chase. Uh, again, having sold them, I think that's like I had mm. a regiment of metal icons. I had uh, you know a regiment of metal stone trolls, and I, I I needed the money to pay my rent, and so they were gone. And just think, oh, is it is it too much to do it again? But who knows, man? Like you know, one day. And, and again, it's just the, the prices now. Man, people charging fifteen, twenty quid a troll, and you think I need I need a unit of these guys. Like it's nuts. Like they're just toys, but. <sighs> Yeah, sellers market, right? <laughs> That's it, mate. You, you might be lucky because I got lucky, I think, um, with some really generous people, especially in Australia. Yeah, some I think uh, a couple of guys really helped me out. One guy just gave me gave me some trolls. He said, you know, wow. I've got duplicates. You know, I know you got. You know, I know you run a, like a YouTube channel. You're doing this podcast. I know. I know you're collecting them to paint them and use them and that kind of thing. So please have them, and uh, hopefully I can I can return the favor to him at some point. And um, it's good like that. It's on the whole, people are pretty decent about um, you know keeping prices sane and you know trading and, and giving freebies and stuff. Like it's just difficult because it, it all it takes is some you know one person coming in and being a being a kid and, yeah. and, and, and you know scraping up the, 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 the generosity and, and, and abusing that. And I just I don't know how you police that. Like it's so you know and, and and you know do we have a right to us? But you you know I just wish we had some sort of like. Um, and a gentleman's agreement, or you know, like I, I'm, like, I'm the point right. Yo, you know, I'll, I'll, like I picked up uh, ten of, of Kev's, uh, you know, Morpho's walks the other day, the metals. And I got, we got three pound a model, and I'm more than happy to pay that. You know, like, yeah, the, the single piece models, they're of an age. Three pound a model, that's pretty reasonable. I'm, I'm, I'm happy with that. And then people are like, oh, five, six, seven quid, and you're like, ah, I get it, but like. If I'm trying to build an army and I need a block of twenty of these, I'm not giving you 140 notes. Yeah. Because it just like, but you you know if if you don't, someone's going to come in and pick them up for three pound and then flip them on eBay for seven pound. Yeah, you know, Take that out of the community and, and, and abuse it. And I don't know how you stop. It. I mean, I know you know the, the Facebook groups do do a good job of trying to police that. And if someone yeah. is found intent to, you know, whether whether we have a right to or not, I think it's that like you we try and look after our own, and it's like, like you know, come on, that's not really the spirit of what we're doing here. Yeah, that's right. Um, and that's why I've enjoyed, you know, like that's how you know how we met, and I, I, I you know, it's it's a really cool, you know, that's what once you know friendship we formed, and you do you get to know mm. these guys online, and you've got you've got your podcast, and you've got these groups forming, and hopefully that, that lets you build those those links to people where you can. You know, have the have the, the the mature, honourable way of doing it, and you can have the games in the kind of the way you can play it. And I think that's kind of, I guess that's kind of what this is all about for us, right? It is harking back to that kind of that, that middle hammer mentality, the you know, very much the priestly mentality or the Nigel uh, still yeah. mentality yeah. of like this is a you know, and it's, it's not a, this is not a, a gentleman's game for men. That's not what I'm saying. Like far from it. What, you know, what is so good about modern gaming is we are slowly opening the community up and like I say you know, my girlfriend and I paint together and game together all the time and now I'm on the community scene and on art shows and you're starting to see you know people of different genders and different ethnicities and different colours and different opinions and feelings and whatever getting together and it's grey so I'm not saying oh it's just I want it, I want it to be a bunch of old men stuffy old men in the stuffy old house walking stuffy old but that's not what I want at all I, you, you know I, I it, but it's I, I, what I don't want is for the community to be, to be taken advantage of by people who see an opportunity yeah. and um, you know we all know those eBay sellers who charge eye-watering prices for mm. half complete kits and you just think you're 
at the end of the day, you know, if someone's willing to pay it, they're willing to pay it. Who am I to tell people how to spend their money? Absolutely sure, whatever. But it is getting harder and harder. Mm. And, you know, you, you know, and that's where it's good. You know, people like me, like me, like, I love, um, it's Diego, isn't it? Like, I've backed a couple of this. Like, I love what they're doing. I love what people like Vanguard and Onslaught are doing. It's what I'm trying to do a little bit myself and doing doing is that thing like, even if you can't get the originals, here's something that's, that's you know, close enough to not be IP difficult and we don't want GW's lawyers not like nobody wants that like these are these are echoes of not replicas of because you know it's GW's IP and they deserve to make money out of it and whatever yeah. but like the ability for people to come into this hobby and, and, and that's what's been really interesting so you've seen people who are you know perhaps not like ourselves who weren't there back in the 90s but saying oh no I can see I can see why you like that and it's really I'm interested I want to be part of that too hmm. that's been really like so we're seeing it with the epic scene now there's people coming in like, oh, I, I, you know, I, I wasn't in GW in the 90s I didn't know what this is but this looks really exciting can you tell me more and that's brilliant because you know, we're never going to be you know back to the glory days of the 90s when everyone played epic you know epic used to yeah. be the third major game right you saw you games yeah. it was a great time yeah. but like the fact that it's not just stuffy old men but it's actually all sorts of people are really interested in discovering these kind of gems of the past yeah. um, and now there's these companies that are letting people have access to you know sensibly priced contemporary quality products so that they can participate I think it's you know you know, I, I, you know, you and me, we want our, we want our nostalgia, we want our complete sets of, of classic models, but also supporting that and you know, gaming alongside that. I know, mean, you know, I bought an entire um, set of um, Vanguard's Adeptus Mechanicus. Didn't need them. They're just so cool, right? And, yeah. I'm like, yeah, I'll just use them as my tech guard because I've got a tech guard, but I want Adeptus Mechanicus as a tech guard, so why not? And you know, it's just, it's yeah, so. To provide those options, and, and, and I mean, the only thing that worries me now, and you know, I've got a mate who uh, does or did 10 mil pseudo Warmaster, uh, oh, yeah. another line, uh, Black Game Miniatures, and uh-huh. he's family the other day, Barry is again, mate of mine from, from the War Machine days. He's like, I'm, I'm getting out of the game because everyone's 3D printing now, mm. and, and I get it. And it is, you know, it's you know, we use three D printing at work. We, we have all our models are three D sculpted and, and printed and masters. I understand why people are going down that route, but it's making all these, you know, these little cottage industries they're going to dry up because, mm. you know, I, I'm really seeing it now, specifically in Warmaster and certainly in Epic as well. Like people are like, oh, I don't want a model, I just want an STL. And I get it, but it's it's tough. Again, I think you know to kind of go back to the business side of things for a minute I think one of the things that people perhaps are not as aware of as they might be is what the cost of making a miniature are so like to get a sculpt you know if, if you're doing it yourself obviously it's whatever time you're willing to put into it so there's not that cost but I you know I paid someone to sculpt a miniature sculpting miniature is anything from like 150 to 500 plus pounds yeah so just to, to kind of just to recoup that cost let alone you know inverted commas make profit and, and like I say with, with Doom I'm not I'm not interested in profit I'm interested in being able to grow the line by you know recouping the cost of one to pay for the next essentially yeah um, so you know I it's, it's a niche it's a niche line I'm going to sell maybe 100 or something maybe 200 so if I spent 500 pounds making it I've got to recoup that plus the cost of manufacturing before I even think about making anything on top yeah and 
that's the kind of thing that I think, yeah, if you say, oh, can I have the STL? I can only sell you the STL once. And the worry with the STL as well is that's so piratable because once you've got yeah. it, you've got it, I can't make that in a way that it can't be given away. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's the worry. And I think where it's working at the moment really well is, you know, the guys running the Patreons. You know, I've sort of, so I've got a team of uh, four or three sculptors at work and I've sort of said to them, well, you're not allowed to go and start a Patreon. You're not allowed to leave me <laughs> your own Patreon. And I think the thing is, like, they're like, oh, we don't really want to because the, the, the balance is always that thing of, like, so the Patreon's great. You see, you know, some of the top Patreons are getting, like, three, four thousand dollars a month, which sounds insane. Mm. Holy cow, my story certainly not four thousand dollars a month. It would be nice if it was. Yeah. But, um, there's no security in that. And, you know, there will come a time, perhaps, when those Patreons drop off or when, yeah. you know, once you sculpt everything, what do you do next? Yeah. And I think the other thing where it's really interesting, you know, I, I, Obviously, as part of my job, I'm keeping an eye on a lot of this stuff, and all this stuff. You look at the Patreons, mm. and the top end is like, yeah, people are making bank on it, but it very, very quickly falls off a cliff. And actually, it's only, say, 10, 15 people making good money. And after that, it's, you know, a lot of people, if they're lucky, making £100 a month, and a lot of people making nothing. And so I don't know how kind of long-term sustainable it is, because this is such a niche hobby. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's difficult because you know, I have this argument with my boss all the time. He's adamant 3D printing is the future of the hobby. I disagree, but I can see why it's powerful. I can, I can certainly see people making use of it right now. My my thing is always like, like I don't know, have you got a 3D printer? I don't right now. No, so I've not either. And I can't be asked with it. Like, I'm... I'm, I'm lazy is not the right word, but it's the thing. When I want to, when I want a hobby, I want to take a model, I want to build it, and I want to paint it. Mm. The, the extra steps of you know getting the STL, setting up for printing, making sure it prints properly, uh, curing the resin, cleaning the resin. Like I don't know if you've ever tried to clean a three D print out there, a pain in the neck because they're so brittle. Um, like there's so many more steps versus I go to a gaming shop, I hand over my pounds, somebody gives me a box of miniatures, I go home, I open it up, and I can immediately do my hobby. Yeah. Um, so I think like there is an audience for three D printing. Of course, there is absolutely like a whole lot, and you know more power to them. But it's another facet of the hobby to me. Until 3D printing to the point where it's like Star Trek, where I press the like, print me on space, and then a space ring pops out. Yeah. I'm not interested, and we're not there yet. Like, we're getting closer all the time, don't get me wrong, but we are not there yet. I can tell we're a replicator technology, don't want to know. So I think that's that thing of like, again, I think 3D printing is a separate aspect of this hobby within the greater hobby, and it is for some hobbyists, but not all hobbyists. And I worry that if we race to get past that and race to get away from buying boxes of you know, lead and plastic and resin miniatures, you might leave some people behind as a result. So, you know, with, with Modifius, we are very keen to lean into 3D printing. We do offer some products as STLs, and it's had, you know, it's had some success. There's definitely a community behind it, and they love what we're doing. And what it does let us do is do some things that, like, we'd love to make this in resin or we'd love to make this in metal, but it would be so expensive because, so, for example, we did, a like, a terrain kit that's, like, uh, like a house. Mm. And I think, you know, to produce that in resin, it's more than anyone would ever pay for it. This wouldn't, you wouldn't be able to sell it in a commercially viable way. So mm. we're like, right, let's do it digitally and see how it goes. And if it goes really well, maybe we can think about, like, well, now that we've sort of paid for some of the sculpts ahead of time in inverted commas, maybe we can use that to offset the cost and think about how we can manufacture it. Mm. Um, so 
Yeah, where was I going with that? I don't even know anymore. <laughs> 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 you, you can use this to do that. I just... I'm going down these rabbit holes, man. Like, it's... it's yeah, it's, it's all good, right? Yeah, you're talking. You're going great. Great guns, mate. So I've really enjoyed what you've been talking about so far because it's, again, like it's another insight into the hobby that we don't normally uh, get to peer into. You know, we don't really know much about. So all well, that's really, really useful. Um, I think the main takeaway is that it's support your 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 um, cottage industry wargaming companies and your mid tier wargaming companies. And absolutely, you know, I, I wouldn't like to tell you how much of my paycheck. Ironically, they just go straight to Games Workshop. Like, Scott Games Workshop too. They're you know they're, they're just like the rest of us. But like, yeah. definitely look after the little the little people because they're doing superb work and they're, they're, you just never know what like what niche thing you're going to stumble across that you just think. Oh wow! That I really need that for my army, and I'd never get that out of games. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Mate, there's a lot of good stuff out there. Like I keep seeing them all the time through Facebook or through YouTube. Um, there's another one. I think it's called Out of the Wilds. There's a guy in the UK. Uh, he's an old hammer too. He's he's, he's really on the. Uh, he's a, he's quite uh, prolific on the old hammer forums and that kind of thing. He's got a massive collection of. Uh, wonderful, uh, you know, third edition and fourth edition models and that kind of thing. He was he was part of like a massive um, birthday bash at the Foundry with yes. his friend. Maybe you know him. I don't know, but I saw the photos. I think it's Jeff. I think it's Jeff is his name. Yeah, Jeff is his name. I think. Um, but yeah, he he produces his own game uh, as like a little side business and his own line of miniatures and all that kind of thing. Um, and, of course, Annie as well. There's so many people out there doing some really wonderful stuff um, who are all creators. You yeah, know? they're certainly the people that are going to be, like, hurting through this pandemic. Like, they're the ones because, mm-hmm. like, you know, I see Annie at all the shows. Uh, you know, I see people uh, with their, like... I've got... Um, my mate does um, Drowned Earth. I don't know if you've seen Drowned Earth. Oh, yeah, I've heard of it. Yep, yep, Yeah, so, you know, guys like that, they're, they're, you know, they're, they're kind of one-person bands or two-person bands that just... Mm. You, and, and they just need, you know, spend your hobby dollars with them, and like, you've only got to look at GW's share price to know they're going to be okay for a little bit longer. Like, oh man, I, I kick myself. Like, when I worked for GW, the share price was three pounds a share, and wow. I didn't buy it. And I look at it now, and I'm like, you fool! Yeah, even good. So what were you at? You're, you're a you're a store store goober as well. Where did you work? I worked at uh, Oxford store. My first store was Oxford in London. Um, yeah. That was the, like the flagship store. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. And we had some real crazy wackos working there with me. Um, and I've actually just recently got in contact with a couple of them. Uh, one was Dean uh, through Facebook. Actually, someone said uh, through my YouTube channel, go and go to this particular group on Facebook, and you can contact all the past employees. Uh, and so that was been wonderful. I've, I've contacted a couple of guys. I used to work with uh, all those years ago, and they're all sort of leading, leading all different kinds of lives now in different countries, which is really interesting. Um, so that's been quite cool. But yeah, I worked there for about I don't know how long, about eight months or something. Then I got transferred. I think I think it came to a stage when we were working there that we got so used to working there, we got we got really relaxed, and we just lost the we just lost that spark. You know what I mean? Like we just got you know we just sort of just got very, very comfortable uh, working there. And I think the managers said, okay, we're going to move you all on and we're going to get some new people in to, you know, 
we need some more you know, we need some more fanatics in the school basically yeah, you know there comes a time where you've run your thousandth demo game yeah you're just like oh, i can't do this anymore yeah <laughs> we just wanted to paint miniatures and just you know smoke cigarettes and you know yeah. check out yeah. the chicks walking by or whatever and you know uh, so we, I got moved up to um, uh, Luton, up to the Luton store, um, and I worked there for, I don't know how long, about three months or something, and that was a bit of a weird transition, working from Oxford to Luton. It's, I, don't know what, I don't know what your impressions of Luton was, but I, I think it, it was a pretty, pretty sleepy town, maybe, I don't know, it wasn't such a... Um, it, it was a it was a far cry from London, that's for sure. But mm, I used no, to definitely. yeah, I used to commute up there all the time, and um, and then then the then we had like an internal memo saying that they were looking for people internally to go to the to the studio to work as a painter. So one of the guys said, "Oh, Josh, you should apply for that because you know you, you like painting and that kind of thing." So I said, "Oh yeah, well, wouldn't mind trying it out." So but that's how I got the job, and uh, eventually worked my way up to um, to Nottingham and lived up there for a while with some with some drug dealers. So that was quite interesting. I, I, worked, I lived with some drug dealers, and I lived with a woman who was dating one of the I think it was a drummer or something from one of the old uh, I think it was either Bolt Thrower or one of the other bands that was part of that part of that time era. <laughs> so. Like, I mean that's that's the Nottingham lifestyle. Like it's one of those support, like yeah. part of me longs to work for them up at HQ, but like I don't know, my girlfriend would never go there and I it's a weird, weird town, right? Like it's a funny place. I've got a friend who used to uh, be like lay out for White Dwarf and he's like, Yeah, I just ah, there's nothing to do. Like you just there's no culture and, and yeah, it's uh, I don't know man. Like who knows? Every place has its, its things, but I was just looking at and thinking, Yeah, Probably just lock yourself in one world and play games all day just because there's nothing else to do, right? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. I, I never really got to explore the cities that much. I think I, th- I think I was just like you know always working and got home and then you know I don't think I ate properly. Like I was like I was really young. I was like 21, and I don't I don't think I actually ate like a proper meal for the entire 18 months I was in England because I never went to the shops. I never bought food. I never cooked. I just never. I don't know. I think I was just living and breathing off Games Workshop. I think for the whole time. Man, being young was good, right? You could do stuff like that back then. And yeah. Now, them. now I bloody die, man. I'll, I'll be dead in three months. I think if I do that now. I was I was on a diet of of cigarettes and uh, uh, coffee or whatever, and eating lunch from the the lo- local smoker that would pop up at the at the store. And I think Burger King. I think that was a th- <laughs> that was my diet for the for the, the eighteen months I was living there for. Brilliant. Uh, it was crazy days. Yeah, I, I, it's all very hazy now. I can't really remember a lot of it now. A lot of it's gone, but certain things will pop up that sort of trigger. So I found some old photos actually that uh, when I was at the studio, I took a whole heap of because I had a camera, so I took a whole heap of pictures. And um, and funnily enough. Uh, I realized when I, when I came to Japan that uh, Dave Perry, the um, one of the miniature painters that I worked with in the studio, uh, he's been living here for over 10 years now, uh, working as well in, in some kind of uh, business, uh, some kind of business-related uh, profession. And uh, we got in contact, and uh, it was a big spin-out because I thought, bloody hell, I, I couldn't believe that you know he was living and working here. And um, and he he was the guy that I mentioned before that he sort of picked up my miniature oh, and just dropped it back in the case. 
Yeah, well, I'm actually painting miniatures for him now. I'm actually doing commission for him for some. Um, yeah, how 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 bizarre is that? We haven't actually had time to meet up or catch up as yet because he lives in Tokyo. I live in the countryside, but okay. one would one day we'll do it. But we're we're sort of connected on uh, on Messenger, and we've got our own little old Hanno group uh, in Japan here that we sort of uh, talk to each other and, and share messages and that kind of thing. But he's more into the historical stuff now. He's a good painter still. Like he's he he asked me, oh Josh, you know what paint should I get, and you know what brushes do you use, and all this kind of stuff, so he wanted to get back into it, and now he's, you know, fully into it, and um, he's painting some really, really good stuff now, and uh, but not, not old time. He's just doing really historical stuff. So, and what's he like? So obviously, you know, like the, the kind of the, the, the stereotype is spaces at a premium in Japan. You tend not to have the gaming as much, but how do you find that? I mean, I've seen you've got a table and you play games, so there must be some uh, some gaming scene. So, well, what's it like out there? That's a good. That's a good point. Um, when I first got here, there was nothing. I mean, I didn't know anybody who gained. All I brought was my Infinity stuff, and I brought my Confrontation stuff, weirdly enough. Uh, we'd need just a small selection of um, both both game systems. But Confrontation, I never played. I think I played two games of it, and I didn't really. I just loved the miniatures, and I just I thought I'd just bring the figures to paint. Uh, Infinity, I played a lot of. I played for that. I played that for about ten years. So. And I didn't have any, I didn't play any games, virtual games for a very long time since basically since the 90s, basically since 5th edition. Um, so I had like my Autumn Goblin Army was at home in Australia. I just came to nothing just with my Infinity stuff. So I was hoping to get some Infinity because I thought, you know, it's a cyberpunk game. Japanese people will love it. You know, I'm, ba- I'm bound to find somebody who plays it. So it was basically, you know, just going to clubs and meeting up with people, uh, trying to find out people who want to play it, blah, blah, blah. And I, I finally found a guy on Facebook, uh, John Joe, that also is from the UK. He also played Infinity. And then we got together, and he came to my place, and we played some games up here. Then he discovered this store, which is the, uh, which is the best store I've ever seen in my life. Uh, that was in uh, Kashiwa and Chiba, and that was called Mr. Fields. Now, if you didn't, if you didn't know Mr. Fields was a gaming store, and you and you saw that name on the website, you would never associate that name with the with the um, uh, with the mascot with anything to do with gaming. But yeah, he found it, and we went there, and it was just incredible. It was like um, two levels or three. I think it was about three levels of. Um, games tables, it, it, it basically had like its own uh, hobby area where people could spray paint their models. They had like a full range of spray paints people could use, uh, painting painting booths where people could sit there and just use all their paints and brushes and stuff. Um, they had like a role-playing section towards the end where guys would come on the weekend. It was like really busy, had heaps of people there, had lots of all kinds of different game systems. And we just played Infinity, so we had, we had a lot of... Um, we, we basically tried to get uh, as many people into Infinity as we could. We ran tournaments there. We had a great time. Uh, loved that loved that era of uh, my hobby in, in Japan. But sadly, it came to an end because they had to close the store due to the building being deemed unsafe by the local government or local council or whatever. Um, so they had to close up. So the owner had to close up, and that was really, really sad. And then we... And then one of the guys who owned that, who worked there, uh, did his own sort of uh, Kickstarter or sort of like a fundraiser, and um, they put the money together with a whole heap of other people to open up a new store close by, 
uh, that basically facilitated games tables because I think that's the biggest problem in Japan that people don't have the space, maybe like in the UK, and they just need they just need a place where they can go to hang out and meet their friends and play games. Yeah. Um, okay. In terms of the that's game, that. yeah. Yeah, sorry, but that, that's that's a really like one of the key differences I find. So like most of my gaming in my, my kind of like my formative years was either done at a games workshop or in um in a gaming club. Mm. And then when my American friends, like they tend to play in stores, like local gaming stores, because obviously the GW presence is different out in the States. It's more a more independent store with, with kind of a GW presence than the kind of the traditional GW store we see. Yeah. And I do, yeah, like it is that thing. Like I think, like you say, like British, British, like I, I, I imagine most British people have a bit more space at home than, than the traditional concept of the kind of the Japanese home space. But like, it's interesting how GW is pushing into that kind of smaller space to play the same game now. And I think there's, you know, I, I sort of, um, when I started in my kind of, my time as a, as a designer and developer, I was really pushing into the three foot space, particularly for that cool. reason, because yeah. you don't have that kind of eight by four table that we traditionally see. Like you, sort of, you read the old man and then white dwarf, they're like, yeah, we've got a 12 by eight table. And you're like, who the hell's going to make for a 12 by Oh, yeah. Uh, so, um, so yeah, like 3x3, and how do you know it's kind of like 40 inches by 20, sorry, 44 by 30 that's what their new games are playing on. Mm. And, you know, you, you can see it's that thing of, again, you know, I was, I was running these um, events for War Machine, and you needed, you needed like four foot per person. And then, you you know, you'd look up to the next day, and there'd be some Magic the Gathering happening, and they'd have like eight people packed into the same space, and then there'd be some extra going, and they'd have like twice as many people as we had. And I think it's that thing of, yeah, you know, people, you know, time is more precious now. I don't know if that's just because we're getting old, but like, you know what I mean? Like, time is so precious. Yeah. Space is a premium. And I'm, you know, I'm really lucky. You know, Sam and I, we, uh, we've moved to a bigger place, we've got a space for a 6x4, which is great, so we can, you know, I can just leave my 6x4 table set up forever, like, it's, it's awesome. Yeah. Basically, our, our front room is the gaming and painting space now, which is, as well, it's the joy of being grown-ups, right? Like, we don't have kids, so we can just do whatever we want with our place. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, like, for a lot of people, it's that, you know, they've only got a little coffee table or, like, half a kitchen table or something, you have to be able to play these games, and I think that's where GW is really doing well. Mm. And it's interesting to hear, like, yeah, you you have that gaming kind of hub, that hobby hub, and they're so important. And I think you know they're just becoming so hard to find, particularly yep. in in the UK because of you know the price of ground rent and stuff. Like, you don't have gaming stores the same way. Like, you know, I, I'm I'm sort of friendly with um, <clears throat> so like um, uh, Dark Sphere. Um, Fast on games, like I know the guys that own those companies mm-hmm. through War Machine, you know, again through through running tournaments for them and stuff. And they, you know, they they really put it on the line by you know Dark Sphere opened a, a, a gaming centre in London, like in in a white city of all places. Yeah. And like how he pays his rent, I don't know, but it, you know. And then they've popped up, you know, Batman Cafe. There's um uh, drafts. I want to say like you are starting to see them. And so there must be, you know, it must be sustainable somehow. But I think that's so important because it's like it's the hardest thing of like how do you meet people to to do this? Specifically, yeah. if you don't like if you play, you, know, you tend to go down to the games workshop, you hang out. If you've got games, tends to be a little bit more accessible. But yeah, for the, for the games that are, you know, they're the only company that has their own brand of, of gaming store, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's really, but yeah, it's, it's interesting here that you you have that because um, like I say, the kind of you know, obviously you know, the kind of the typical the kind of the Gandalf model is the kind of real like yeah. scenario. Yeah. And you, you know, 
you know, arguing for shorts in Japan, there must be. And I was interested, like, is it, um, is it like a good mix of like expat and um, you know, uh, native Japanese? I would just say, my words are terrible today. <laughs> no, that's fine. That's that's good. That's good. Yeah, I think. Yeah. I think there's. I think they are. Um, I think they're in two camps. I think you have more of the expat players in their own sort of groups and you have the Japanese in their own groups. I think I don't think that's done intentionally. I think, because I do, I have gang with a lot of Japanese gamers through Infinity. We did a lot of that together. We had, I had great fun with uh, those guys. Uh, obviously, there's going to be a cultural and language barrier and if if you are if you are fluent in, in the language, I, I don't think you'll have a massive problem and it's probably going to be a lot easier for you, and it's going to be a lot more disarming for the Japanese players. So they think, oh, okay, well, you know, he or she can speak Japanese. It's going to be a lot easier, and it's going to be less uh, less of a hassle, you know, dealing with this person, and they can have a game and that kind of thing. Um, um, so I, but I, I, I've seen, I've seen, you know, lots of lots of like tournaments or uh, game clubs where there's a good mix of um, both Japanese and foreign players playing together, which is excellent. Um, and I, I think they have to be because you know, you know, you just got to game and game with somebody that when you can and you know when, when it's doable. So I don't think you have much of a choice, really. I mean, I, no, I, I it's, yeah. It's one of those like interesting things with this hobby where like it sounds horribly trite, but like you tend to find like war gamers are just like mates you haven't met yet. Yeah, it's on the whole. You can just walk into a room, and, and sometimes detrimentally. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, you know, I'm on the I'm on the uh, convention circuit. Like, sometimes you get talked at rather than to. But like, because we have this shared, you know, I've probably done it to you tonight. I just waffle on. Like, we have this shared passion, <laughs> yeah. And we have this um, like uh, universal language. Mm. I guess. So you know, uh, with with War Machine, we had the kind of the the, the WTC World Team uh, Championship. So like, I, I helped out with that, and we'd run. Um, you know. My convention was very was very multinational. Um, you tended to find because we were all just gamers, regardless of language barrier, you tended to just be able to just you know get together and immediately have that commonality yeah. that kind of broke down any potential like you know language or you know whatever barriers there might be, and just be like us. Oh, you got some cool toy soldiers there. Like, yeah, cool. You're cool too, and then you just you just be mates from that point on, right? And it, yeah. it just it, and it's like I don't, I don't think it's perfect. You know, obviously the the online community is a bit weird at times, and, and, and like I say, sometimes it's the thing. And again, I appreciate. I apologize. I've, I've spoken a lot tonight. Oh, like, no, go for it. Yeah, you do. You do get into those kind of like you just love talking to people about your bit of the hobby, but like. So it's, yeah, like I, I can see how that that merging is is like you say, it's kind of a necessity because at the end of the day we are a, we are a niche we are a weird bunch right so you, yeah, you can't, can't really pick your battles you're just like well we're all, we're all in it together because it's us or nobody right so yeah. we've got to <laughs> but um it does just you know it, you know you and I have never met each other but we've yeah. got those common we've got those touch points and, and that has kind of led to this kind of like. Um, I don't know, like, I don't, it's so hard in the age of the internet. Like, is it a friendship? I guess so. Like, it's a weird one, right? It's a Absolutely, yeah, yeah. I, I've, yeah, I've, like, I've um, through Discord, I've made some really great friendships. So, actually, you know, I've known the people, but I've never actually spoken to them. And once now that we've actually bridged that gap, we've actually spoken now through Discord. 
It's just being brilliant because now we're talking every night. We've actually know these people a lot better. They know me a lot better, maybe. And we've developed a good friendship. And I know it's just through the internet. We haven't actually seen each other in person, but I don't think that's really important. Um, I, I can, I can, you know, we can all gauge a good sense of a person's nature through their voice. It's such an important thing instead of just reading text. Obviously, language, you know, textually or vocally is both important, but once you have, once, once you can connect vocally and you can express yourself a lot better than just typing something on a screen, then I think that's, that's much more important. So it's been a really a revelation actually, uh, through Discord now because, yeah, I've, I've met a lot of people from all around the world and uh, I've developed some really good friendships that way. So it's been great and, you know, yourself included. Thank you. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think anything that breaks down, but like too many barriers being put up these days, right? Let's break That's down it. some barrier. That's and if it, we can do it by pushing toy soldiers around together or, you know, showing paint, paint jobs or terrain or, you know, whatever it may be. Hmm. That's good, man. <laughs> I'm all in. It's always new to me. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a forum, I, but I do know what you mean. Like, written language, written, oh man, you get you get some fights on the forums, you think if you guys just chatted, you probably wouldn't be buying heads right now, so I think yeah. I'll, have to, I'll have to figure this this Discord stuff out and uh, join the join the 21st century. Yeah, honestly, like, Discord was like, when when first Dave, like Dave, um, my mate Dave set, set it up, and I was like, oh no, I, I, knew, I knew Discord through the, um, uh, the, uh, what's it called in, the uh, Throne, Game of Thrones games, um, the the Simon game, the tabletop game. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What's the name? Song of Ice That's it. I I got got into that group and I was just like just bombarded with like messages or not messages, but just 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 posts that people were posting up. And I thought, no, I can't handle this because I've got this and Facebook and all these other things, and I can't be can't be bothered with uh, Discord. But I didn't realize the potential of how good it was until Dave set it up, and then I got more involved with it. And I started doing this paint and chat things with guys because I did it through my YouTube and it became really frustrating because I'm talking to myself and I'm just reading the comments on the screen, but I really wanted to talk to the guys, you know, I really wanted to talk to them. So this was that bridge. It was basically, it gave me that ability to then just say, okay, let's hook up. We can talk to anybody. Anybody can just jump in and just chat and say hello and, you know, whatever. So it's been excellent. Cool. Um, so, yeah, and I don't really do much of the paint and chat stuff on YouTube anymore because I, I just enjoy just sitting down, having a drink and chilling out of an evening with the guys, you know, in Germany or in Netherlands or in Sweden or, you know, in the US or Canada. Um, so it's been really, really good. Mm. You, you want it to be that thing, so it's a bit like, um, bring out your lead. Like, you, you want to yeah. have that one thing where we can all get together and be like, oh, like, how you been? Like, let's, let's get that game in that we've, we've got, like, that, that's the kind of the next thing, I think. So, that's it, we have to figure out what it looks like. And it'd have to be traveling, I think, as well. So, because it's got to be like, you can't have it the same place every year because it's got to be like fair for everyone to get to, I guess. But yeah, that's, that's, that's it. You need to put together the, um, the crowd come on, uh, convention or get together, like the annual get together. Like, obviously, it's probably not a good year to do it, but that's, that's my challenge for you there. You gotta. <laughs> no, but that's, that's, that's a good one. I think, I think bring out your lead would probably be the, the most, uh, well, be the most favorable choice for me. I think the old Hammer Poland event would be probably my second choice, but then, of course, there's, uh, Adepticon in the US and that kind of thing. But I think bring out your lead probably be the, the most central place where it all, 
you know, all the people I've known through through my channel and and through the podcast and everything could all meet at one place and we'd all have games and have a beer and, and uh, go out for dinner and all that kind of thing over a course of a weekend. I think that's probably the best way of doing it and having our shirts made up, get our shirts done up, so we've got the Crown of Command shirts and all that kind of with a name on it and that kind of stuff. I think that would be just brilliant. Like, I've been looking for an excuse to go, so there you go. <laughs> well, we've got to do it, mate. Have a, big, have a massive 5th edition campaign or something, or Epic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or, or an Epic, um, yeah, just like a nice, nice campaign. Well, just do them both, mate. Just do them both. Like, Epic, yeah. Epic's so light and it's so transportable. Like, you can just transport an entire 3,000-point army, uh, and it, it just weighs nothing. So just do that, and they get, like, a 1,500-point. If I take 1,500 points of my Warhammer... Army and if we and we just do like a massive allied game or just even a thousand points. You yeah, know? yeah, like the old the old GW uh, like event days where yeah you just turn up like, yeah. with your little throw down on the table and everyone just pushes stuff around and has a giggle right that'd be really good. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Yeah, we're definitely going to do it. When this, when this pandemic's over, it's a date. There you go. We're, we're going to do it, mate. Definitely for sure. I know. I know it's going to happen. I can. I can foresee it. And I've always been. And through my whole life, if I if I imagine something or if I keep my you know mind concentrated on a particular thing for so long, it will eventually happen. It's always been, you know, I've I've lost track along my life, but I know that if I if I have some kind of image or a goal or a dream, it gen- it generally does come true. So I'm sure I'm sure it's going to happen. I'm, I'm sure I'm going to be there one day. I don't know how, but I'm gonna I'm gonna make it there. And I'm, I'm sure all you guys are going to do that. Are going to be there too, and we're going to have a the best games day ever, I think. That sounds good. We'll get Nigel Stillman to get it to jump into the action as well yeah, if, if he's game. Because they all got to go, right? Yeah. yeah. So John Blanche will be sat on the throne, kind of officiating. Yeah, like Stillman will be there giving us the rules, and Priestley will be there giving us. The rules. Sounds great, man. That's and we'll get we'll get Kev Adams to uh, to sculpt us uh, some kind of you know head or something like that on their miniatures or just sculpt a miniature or whatever. Because uh, I think that's what he does normally when he goes there. He yeah, does some yeah, kind of charity. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, you we'll definitely right. do that. It may be awesome. I just can't wait. Yeah. But, um, hang in there. We're gonna, we'll get it. We'll get there one day. Yeah. Um, that sounds perfect. Excellent, mate. All right, John. Well, I've 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 taken up almost two hours of your time, mate. So thank you so much. It's been so good to talk to you. Was your time? No, not my time at all, mate. I, I'm, it's a pleasure for me to to be able to talk to you and all so many other people. So I'm just so so grateful that you can take up your time to talk to us and myself. So it's been awesome, man. So we've got to do it again uh, because yeah. I think you've, well, I think we've got that? more to talk about. I think. Well, I don't think we're finished. <laughs> no, well, if nothing else, I've proven I can run my mouth. So <laughs> That's excellent. I'm always in. The, I'm always scared that I'm going to have someone on who doesn't want to talk, <laughs> and I've got to do the majority of the talking, so I, I, I love people who love talking about and passionate about their, their hobby, so that's been excellent, mate. Ooh, okay, that's good. I mean, that, that's, that's why we're friends, right? That's yeah. <laughs> that's it. All right, John, well, All right, well, t- thank well, you again. No, mate, I'm, I'm going to keep painting, mate. It's only, what, oh, about, oh, about, about 10 past one? Yeah, I'm still in the zone. I'll, I'll probably paint for another uh, an hour or something like that, and I'll head off to bed. But, um, okay. Well, you, you can enjoy the rest of the afternoon. Yeah, I'm going to go and finish those uh, those such flies. Good on you, mate. I look forward to seeing those on, on the Facebook group then. Nice one. Take care. It's okay. to chat to you. Yeah, lovely to chat to you, mate. Okay, take care. Bye. Bye. Are you there, John? Yeah, I'm still here, man. Yeah. Okay, thanks, mate, again. It was awesome. Thank you very much. No, um, if, if I... No. 
No, 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 don't, don't, no, I, I want people to talk, just talk about anything, uh-huh. it's fine, mate, it's, you know, I, I don't want to, I don't want to talk, honestly, because I, I know, I, okay. <laughs> me, me, hearing my voice on the podcast is not one of those, one of those things that I look forward to, so, yeah, listen to other people talking about their hobby and, and that kind of thing, right. it's I, been I brilliant. Like a good podcast, it's been a, like I, I do, like I used to do one myself, for War Machine back in the oh, day. Oh, right, too. okay. I, I pop up here and there, like I've done a few. Um, did the one with Dave uh, Taylor the other day. You know Dave Taylor? The, yeah, yeah, Dave Taylor. He's an Aussie. He, yep. Yeah, yeah, he is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Um, so I did one with him the other day. He's painting uh, hangouts. Um, always keen to do them, but uh, yeah. Oh, of course. Awesome. All right, well, I'm going to go and grab a drink and uh, get cracking. But uh, cool, it's, honestly, man, a pleasure. Really enjoyed it. And, yeah. Uh, hopefully well, we'll do it goes have- well. We'll have to do it again, mate. We'll have to do it again for sure because I'm, I'm sure we've got a lot of a lot of bottom tops that we haven't discussed tonight. So we, we've definitely got a lot more um, lot more um, material to, to get through. We've got uh, a lot of epic stuff to talk about or um, fantasy stuff we we can talk about or whatever. And we might do it with uh, another guest or something like that maybe in the future. That'd be quite cool too. Yeah, absolutely. It'd be a pleasure. Yep, wonderful, mate. Cool. Okay, well, right. take care. Have a have a good uh, have yeah, a good afternoon, mate. Stay safe. Okay, I'll keep in touch. Okay, take care. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye. Okay, bye.